o'clock. I see that everyone has made it. I'd like to call this meeting to order. I am the facilitator for tonight's meeting until such time as we have a chairperson, which you will see on your agenda, is located at the end of the meeting. So I'd like to go over a few things, kind of um, go through how this is going to lay out tonight, a little bit of the um, the way the equipment works, you know, the housekeeping things, et cetera, et cetera. So if we could start, I'm Shirley Concolino. I'm the city clerk. After I'm through with this introduction, we will go through and introduce staff, and then I'll go around the dais and introduce each of ourselves so that we all know each other. So thank you all for coming. This is our first meeting, one out of ten, if I can count. Um, by the time this is over, we will all know each other quite well. Right now, I don't know that we all know each other, but by the time we're through with this, I think we will. So for purposes of this evening, um, and because you have not yet been sworn in, I'm going to state for the record that we do have the full body of the appointed members as appointed by the City Council. And then going through the agenda, um, we will notice that we have the introduction of staff, we have the oath of office, then we're going to go over the Brown Act, parliamentary procedures, the roles and responsibilities, the committee schedule, redistricting criteria, and then the one discussion item that we have was to select the chair and the vice chair. And that was placed at the end with the thought that it might be good to have all of these process kinds of things out of the way and then have the time, the opportunity for each of you to do your introduction so everyone kind of gets a sense of who each person is before we actually called for a vote for that item. So it seemed to be a little bit of a better flow. So if everyone is okay with this agenda, we will proceed. Okay. Um, for housekeeping, the restrooms are located um, out this door and to the left where the guard station is and to the right of that. So if anyone needs to use the restrooms during the meeting, whatever, feel free to get up and go, come and go. These meetings are being video streamed, so we will have them for recorded purposes. The way the equipment works, because we have more people than this dais has speakers or, or microphones, um, it is your names are not programmed into the system so that if you were to request to speak, which I'll go over in just a few moments, the speaker queue will not fill. Your microphones operate, and I think our AV technician Kim Quaritch got to some of you, but basically the button that's on your dais opens your mic. When it is red, your mic is on. When you're not speaking, please turn your mic off because if you have more than two or three mics open at a time, there's feedback that goes into the system and the recording is altered. Not to mention that it's broadcast all over the building. So you want to be careful of any private conversations that you think you might have because they're not so private. Uh, we've learned that the hard way. Um, in addition to that, let's see what else I needed to, to go through. Um, I know, do know that the members that are listed, there are a couple changes that need, be, need to be made to your names, a couple of you, and I think Stephanie has that as does Scott, so we will make those corrections. If you take a look and you see that something is wrong on the cover page of the agenda, please let us know because we want to make that correct. Now you did know, notice that you got an email that stated that all materials were going to be delivered electronically and that all materials would be provided to you um, in that manner. It was up to you whether they were to be printed or not. We had um, a little miscommunication with staff uh, tonight, and so you do have your first agenda and packet printed for you. We will not be doing that in the future. The council has agreed that we are going to operate in this manner, and most of our boards and commissions operate that way, planning commission, et cetera. 
But this binder will serve a good purpose because if you do want to print out resource materials or other things, however you work best, this can be a binder then that is consistent for everybody and we can use it in, in that way. So feel free to take the binder. That's yours. Um, I know that there were a couple of you that expressed interest in getting copies of the Council Rules of Procedure as well as um, some other resource materials. And um, while the Council Rules of Procedure do not apply in its entirety to this, this body, it is a good document to reference. There are things that are applicable. And um, we will make sure that you get that. So it isn't available, right? I don't believe it's in the binder this evening, but we will get that to you. Um, as you know, when you came in, everyone was seated, um, first come, first serve, wherever you wish to select. After the chair has been selected, the seating order will be that the chair will be sitting here. The vice chair will be sitting in that spot there. I will sit here as the clerk because of the equipment here. And then everyone else, it's first come, first serve. We will be changing these placards to have a little bit of a bigger font so that they're more easily read. <laughs> and I will be the first to admit I am horrible with names, numbers I can remember. So probably by the time this is all done, I will be remembering names. So I'm just happy that I'm not going to be the one sharing forever because I will not be able to figure this out. Um, for tonight's purposes, as we go into the agenda, if you wish to speak, we need to raise our hand this evening, and once you're called upon in the order, hopefully, that you've raised your hand, and then you'll be called upon, and then we can and go in that order. And when you do, when you are chosen to speak, please state your name so that we have it for the record until we get familiar with each other's with, you know, names, and then we will just go from there. We're going to observe pretty much the Roberts Rules of Order, Parliamentary Procedures. I think most of you are familiar with how that, how that works. You have a motion, you have a second, there's discussion, and then it's voted upon. There can be um, amended motions, those kinds of things. We probably won't get too far into that. But again, we will provide um, a summary level kind of a Robert's Rule, easy read um, for your information resource book as well. So are there any questions so far? Anything that I haven't covered? Okay, good. All right. Well. Let me check my notes before I turn it over to the staff for introductions and make sure I covered it all. After we go through all of the introductions, we will then get beyond to item number two, which would be, will be the oath of office, and I'll take it from there. So, Stephanie, if you'd like to be the next person. Sure. Um, I have either corresponded or spoke with you um, already. My name is Stephanie Mizuno. I'm the assistant city clerk, and I will be... Um, assisting Shirley with these meetings and um, sending information to you. So um, if you need anything, you know to email me or to call. Um, also, um, and I must have a um, verbal thank you to Howard Chan, our parking manager in the Department of Transportation, because we do have parking vouchers for you. So as long as you get in the garage after 530, um, please check in with me after the end of each meeting, and I will give you a voucher, and you just turn your ticket and your voucher into the attendant, and then your parking will be at no cost. So I um, just wanted to let you know that. I'm um, surely covered kind of the logistics. Actually, in the back room here, um, there is a dispenser with um, water, and if you would like to use a cup and um, have water in the back there, please feel free. 
Um, do not exit out the back. If you do, you will get caught in the hallway, um, and you may find yourself in the basement. But you can find your way around, but I would just suggest not to do it. Um, so just come back through this door here. And um, other than that, I'm just here to assist, and if you need anything, you just let me know. Hello, everybody. My name is Matt Ruyak. I'm with the uh, City Attorney's Office, and I'll be uh, staffing the committee for the duration. And I'm basically here to help answer any legal questions you might have as best as I can. And behind the scenes, I really help staff um, answer their legal questions to make sure that the presentations and everything presented to you is, uh, is as uh, accurate as possible. But I'm definitely here to answer procedural questions if you need them. Thanks. Good evening. I'm Scott Mindy, a principal planner with Community Development Department. Um, I'm a homeowner in District 3, and to paraphrase Sarah Palin, I can see Sac State from my house. Um, I've uh, been with the city for 24 years, and I'd also like to introduce Ellen Marshall, um, who is the primary author of The Primers, um, and she will be presenting Item 6 this evening. And hello, my name is Maria McGonigal, and I'm an IT manager here at the city, and um, I'm here to support you and uh, talk to you. I've met many of you at the training for the software program, and i um, looking forward to getting to know all of you better. Good evening, I'm Vincine Jones, and I am with the Neighborhood Services Special uh, Events Department. Uh, I am also here with Derek Lim, who you'll see is my alternate when I just can't take it anymore. So, <laughs> um, But uh, I just wanted to let you know that I'm here for support. Um, my, uh, my, excuse me, um, department is very, very uh, great with the neighborhoods, neighborhood association, businesses. I think uh, our knowledge of the community and our population is unsurpassed, and that's what I say. So we'll be here uh, to give you any kind of support or information you may need uh, with the uh, community. Uh, and uh, with that, shall we turn it over to Mr. Cherry? Shall we start on this end and work our way around the dais for the introduction <laughs> of the committee members? He's awake now. <laughs> please open your mic. Could you please open your microphone? Thank you. So the first thing you do is open the mic. Good evening, members of the commission, uh, my fellow commission members and staff. It's good to see uh, many of you who I know. Uh, my name is Julius Cherry. I spent uh, 30 and a half years as an employee of the city of Sacramento, retired in 2007 as the city's fire chief. Um, I'm a lawyer here in town. Uh, had a little bit of experience with this commission kind of stuff. I spent about seven and a half years on the county planning commission a few years ago, uh, but haven't done that for a while, and I'm very, very pleased to be here. Hello, everyone. My name is Bill Motmans. I'm the president of the Tahoe Park Neighborhood Association. I've been the president for about the last five years. Uh, I'm a retired uh, county of Sacramento and state of California employee. I've uh, spent over 35 years working for them, and I just retired last summer, and I'm looking to be more involved with the community. And uh, I'm looking forward to working with all of you. Thank you very much. Good evening. I'm Nadia Leal Carrillo, Legislative Director with the University of, of California Office of the President. Um, 
homeowner of District 5. I'm very happy to be part of the, um, this group and um, ready to be put to work. Hello, good evening. My name is Michelle Rualgava. I am a homeowner in District 7, also an attorney and legislative advocate here in Sacramento. I am a transplant to the city, but I have spent a little under half of my life here. So uh, very excited to be here and work with you all. Uh, good evening and welcome to our guest, as well as the fellow council members. My name is Bill Camp. I'm the executive secretary of the Sacramento Central Labor Council. I live in District um, 3 uh, downtown. I've lived there since February of 1977. Uh, I make my living today as the head of the Labor Council, which represents uh, workers in Sacramento and the surrounding five counties. Good evening. My name is Phil Pluckybaum. Uh, I was uh, appointed here at large, but I'm a resident of D District 3. I'm sure we're going to be saying it often, but I want to say thank you to staff for um, some fantastic support so far and um, in, in this uh, big process. Um, I'm a father of two. Uh, I'm currently the vice president of the River Park Neighbor Neighborhood Association, past member of the uh, Bond Oversight Committee for the uh, Sacramento School District, and I'm uh, eager to uh, participate in this. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Lynn Hom. I'm a resident of District 1 for the past 20 years. I'm the secretary for the Natomas Community Association, and I am honored to be part of this commission and look forward to working with everybody. Thank you. Hello, everybody. My name is Roman Porter. I'm currently the executive director of the Fair Political Practices Commission. Just want to say how much um, of a pleasure it is to be here. I look out in the audience and hope that these meetings will be better attended in the future. We really need to get the input and participation of com uh, community members that we're here to try and draw the lines for. So appreciate you coming out. And once again, I don't think it can be said enough how much we appreciate all the work of staff. Um, we just couldn't do what we're attempting to do without your help. Seriously, I couldn't do it without your help. So thank you very much. Appreciate it. Good evening, everyone. My name is Steve Hansen. I live in District 1, just an alkali flat a couple blocks away. If a less than majority of you, per the Brown Act, want to ever come over, <laughs> please feel free. And to those of you who have chosen to spend your evenings with us, thank you. We need some um, liveliness, and I hope it comes from you. Um, I serve on the Downtown uh, Partnership Board, representing downtown residents, and on the Board of Cares, and my day job is working for a biotech company. Um, I'm really happy to be here, and it's been said, but it can't be said enough. Thank you to the staff, the city clerk's office, um, the planning department, community, neighborhood services, and the city attorney's office. You guys have done a lot of work, and it's just the beginning, so thank you. Uh, good evening. My name is Maya Wallace. Um, I currently work for the state of California, the state auditor's office, uh, so I have some experience with redistricting through the state's redistricting commission. Um, I'm a 10-year resident of Sacramento, and uh, I live in ESAC, and I'm a very enthusiastic cheerleader for our city, and I look forward to doing the work with this committee. Hi, I'm Steve Maviglio, a lifelong political junkie. And uh, I've, I find it very odd sitting on this side of the dais for a change when I'm usually criticizing the people who are up here, so it's going to be fun. Um, I have my own business here in Sacramento where I do political and public relations consulting. 
worked on Prop 23, worked for the governor, worked for the legislature, and worked in Washington, D.C. for a while, now working for some of Brother Camp's brothers uh, to protect public pensions, so we're on the same page on that. And just want to thank staff and everybody for turning out. Uh, as everybody mentioned, this is a very public process, and the more we hear from the people in the neighborhoods, the better our job will, will be made. Thank you. Hi there, my name's Cyril Shaw, and uh, I'm a Sacramento Housing and Redevelopment Commissioner, um, also a past president and board member of the East Sacramento Improvement Association, the city's oldest neighborhood association. Had to get that in there. Um, I'm happy to see, uh, happy to meet many of you that uh, I haven't met before today and look forward to working with you. Um, also happy to see uh, East Sacramento and District 3 uh, well represented. Um, up here, but I'm um, very interested in hearing from all of you and from the, uh, the members of the community that are, um, took the time to come out this evening and will come out to future meetings. Thank you. Um, hi, my name is Miranda Perry, and I'm um, here today as the representative of the League of Women Voters of Sacramento County. Um, the League is a nonpartisan organization um, that has pursued redistricting reform for over 20 years. Um, the League's position on redistricting is very compatible with the city's reapportionment process since the League believes that redistricting should take place in an open and transparent um, manner with public input. We also uh, encourage the same ranked criteria that, you, that we'll discuss later today in, in our agenda. I've been involved with the League for many years, about four. I was first an intern um, in college with them. And I have accepted a position at the League of Women Voters of California just in time to um, participate in our statewide redistricting reform and education efforts. And I also studied redistricting when I earned my BA in geography in college. Hello, my name is Bernard Bowler. I worked for IBM for 32 years and retired as the local executive here. Currently, I'm on the County Civil Service Commission and I'm also commissioner of the University Accreditation, WASC, for the Western States. Hello, my name is Sandra Fry Lucas. I represent District 8. I've lived in District 8 now for 30 years. I retired from the University of California at UC Davis Dean's Office Engineering eight years ago. I'm currently now working part-time with the school district, I'm working with senior citizens and uh, computer literacy quite a lot of fun. And I have a small consulting group that do, we do some marketing and job placement training. Well, thank you very much. Um, thank you for the introductions that you've made. Um, again, I'm looking forward to working with all of you. I think this is going to be an exciting experience. I have um, neglected to mention that speaker slips are located in the back of the room, so if anyone in the audience wishes to speak, please complete one of the forms and turn it into the assistant clerk here at the front, and we will make sure that we uh, get those processed so that you're able to speak. In addition, um, if you have a cell phone, if you could turn it to the silent position, that would be greatly appreciated as well. So we're now to our next order of business, which is the oath of office, and what I'd like to ask each of you to do is to stand with me and we will do an oral oath, um, after which you have the form, I believe, at your place. If you would sign that and leave it at the dais, do not take it with you. We will pick that up so that we have a copy for our records. So I'm going to stand back a little bit so I can see everybody. This isn't the ideal, but we'll make it work. So if you would please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I do solemnly swear. 
I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. And the Constitution of the State of California. And the Constitution of the State of California. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That I will bear true faith and allegiance. That I will bear true faith and allegiance. To the Constitution of the United States. To the Constitution of the United States. And the Constitution of the State of California. And the Constitution of the State of California. That I take this obligation freely. That I take this obligation freely. Without any mental reservation. Without any mental reservation. Or purpose of evasion. Or purpose of evasion. And that I will well and faithfully. And that I will well and faithfully. Discharge the duties upon which I am about to enter. Congratulations. Thank you. And I'll be seated. Okay. Again, please don't forget to sign the uh, written one that's at your, your station and then leave it here for us. Um, we're now on to item number three, which is the review of the Brown Act Parliamentary Procedure and Meeting Protocols. And I believe Matt Ruyak will be taking this item. Thanks, Madam Clerk. Again, my name is Matt Ruyak. I'm with the Sacramento City Attorney's Office. And what I'd like to do now is give you a very brief overview of um, the Brown Act and why it's important to this committee. This committee is established as a Brown Act body. That is, it's subject to the um, provisions of the government code commonly known as the Ralph M. Brown Act. And what the Brown Act is, is it's the state's statutory scheme to ensure that the deliberations and decisions of local public bodies are made in, in uh, the open and are subject to public scrutiny. So to that extent, we are obviously having this meeting here in the city council chambers. And as the clerk has indicated, uh, this, this meeting is being um, broadcast on the internet. And each of our meetings will be held in these chambers um, to ensure that there is public access to the meetings. There are several major points of the Brown Act. I'm going to go over some of them very briefly, but I'm going to focus on one in particular. First, all of these meetings are noticed at least 72 hours in advance, and that's to give the public, um, uh, apprise the public of the business uh, about which the committee will del deliberate. And on the agenda, you will see uh, numbered items, as you see today. We have one through seven. Each week, there will be additional agenda items. And the committee can only discuss and act upon items that are placed on the agenda. So the staff will stay focused on the agenda, and the committee needs to stay focused on the items that are on the agenda. At each meeting, hopefully we'll have uh, members of the public here who are entitled to speak on each item on the agenda. As well, at the end of each agenda, there is a spot for the public to discuss matters that are not on the agenda or make comment about matters that are not on the agenda. And we are required to have that uh, pursuant to the Brown Act. The clerk um, has been doing this for a long time and is an expert at making sure all the notice requirements and agenda requirements are accomplished. So the committee doesn't really need to worry about that. All of the, um, the protocols and technical aspects of getting the notice posted and published will be taken care of by staff so you don't have to worry about that. Just to be aware that the agenda is out there on the public so they will be aware generally by, let's see, 
Fridays of what this committee will talk about the following Monday. Um, so the Brown Act, the main focus I want to talk about the Brown Act today is meetings. The Brown Act requires this body to make sure that it hears, deliberates, and acts upon its subject matter in open meetings. Decisions and discussions cannot be held behind closed doors. So a quorum of this or a majority of this committee, and for this committee there's 15 members, so that's eight members, cannot get together outside of this room on a noticed meeting to discuss the redistricting process. This is We really need to focus on this. So eight of you cannot have a meeting outside elsewhere, uh, outside of this chambers at any other time except for a noticed public meeting. But not only eight of you together at one time. The big concern is to make sure that we don't have what are known as serial meetings. Serial meetings are a meeting where perhaps less than eight of you in a series of communications effectively communicate about the subject that this committee is discussing, that is redistricting. There are different kinds of serial meetings. You can have what's known as a daisy chain serial meeting where say one member talks to one member, that second member talks to a third member, that third member talks to a fourth member, and so on and so on until eight members have discussed the same subject. That would be a daisy chain serial meeting and that's prohibited. There's another kind, which is the hub and spoke type of serial meeting. So if one member talks to uh, member two and then talks to member three and to member four, and there's discussions going back and forth where member number one is the hub of a wheel and there are eight members communicating, that's a prohibited serial meeting. You could also have variants of those. So if four of you get together in a group and discuss something, that would not be a violation of the Brown Act. However, if there's another group of four that are also discussing that same subject and then somehow this group of four communicates with that group of four, the subject of your discussions, that could, that could amount to a Brown Act violation. So there are many ways to run afoul of the Brown Act when discussions are had by committee members outside of these chambers. So I would implore you that if you are having discussions with other committee members, outside of these chambers, you'd be very cognizant that you're not accidentally committing a violation of the Brown Act. And what's really important here that I would like to express to you is you may believe that if you have a discussion with two other members, it's not a problem. The problem, however, is that that third member may then go have conversation with two more members, and you don't know what that next link in the chain is going to do and there may be a violation of the Brown Act down the road that you didn't intend at the outset. So it is not a prohibit it is not illegal or a violation of the Brown Act for you to talk to other members about the subject of redistricting. However, you just have to be very cognizant not to involve eight members of this committee in that discussion. Um, 
Are there any questions about that? There are many permutations on the potential violation of the Brown Act, and I'm not going to go over all of them right now. I just want to give you a flavor that is something to be cognizant of when you're, when you're talking about redistricting, when you're going out into the community. Say two of you want to go to a neighborhood association meeting and discuss something. That's no problem. Just be concerned that if other members show up at that meeting, there's a potential for violation of the Brown Act. And what I would like to suggest to all of you is that if you ever have any questions at all about discussing the subject of redistricting among committee members or getting together with neighborhood groups with um, multiple committee members, call me, call anyone in my office, call me first, but call anyone in my office and please ask, is this going to be an issue? Is this going to be a problem? And we'll, we'll find some way to make sure that you can get what you want to accomplish without violating the Brown Act. Mr. Camp has a question? Yes. So, Matt, if we go to a community meeting, whether we speak or not, and let's assume we go, it's a community meeting where the issue is discussed, and we leave, and then someone else comes to the meeting that's on this commission, and maybe they speak, maybe they don't, but they talk about the subject, how do we, at what point do, are we inadvertently uh, abusing the process? Well, that... In that case, um, let's take your example that you go to community meeting. Now, let me mention something else before I get there, just because you brought something up. It is okay for a quorum of this body to attend, for example, a council meeting in which redistricting is, is discussed. You can attend the meeting of another publicly noticed body like the city council, as long as during that meeting you don't discuss amongst yourselves the subject matter of redistricting. But you can all attend if you'd like. I forgot to mention that. So in your, in your situation in which you're attending a community meeting, um, well, one, the issue here with this body, the majority is eight members. Okay, So it only really becomes an issue when we're approaching eight members having had a hearing, discussing, or deliberating the subject of redistricting with each other. If you go and you leave and someone else shows up and two people or, or three members of this committee have shown up, it's not, it, it's not going to be an issue. So it, to that extent, that won't be a problem. And I would suggest to you that if members are going to participate in community meetings um, and you believe there may be many committee members who are going to attend that meeting, it would be a wise idea just to cons perhaps use staff to determine whether or not there might be a potential quorum at that community meeting. The question about a serial, so that so if we attend a meeting and something is discussed and then someone else comes to a later meeting, the subject, same subject's brought up, but that's not a violation. In other words, I'm trying to get the picture of this daisy chain where it's, I'm not even speaking, I'm just... I came to hear what the community had to say, but it was a different community meeting. Oh, no, that, that's not an issue, no. Okay. Any other questions? I w yes. Mr. Porter? No. Mr. Mavigna? Yeah, can, can you define discussion a little bit where we live in a new Internet age where we have web okay. discussions, Thank email, you. all kinds of things? Yes. Ver this is very important. Email discussions are the same as face-to-face -face discussions. It's any communication. 
It can even include communications through intermediaries. For example, if you, for example, let's say you have a brother that you, I don't know, you like to talk to, and you, you've asked him to go talk to each of the members of the committee about something, and he brings back information to you about the discussions he's had with the committee members. Also, that's, that's a, uh, could lead to a violation of the Brown Act. So it, it could be phone calls, it could be emails, Twitter, um, Facebook, anything like that in which there is a potential for a majority of this group to uh, gain information and exchange information and deliberate on the subject of redistricting could be a violation of the Brown Act. So don't send out mass emails to the committee saying, by the way, I see there's a um, next week we're going to have on the agenda the discussion of neighborhoods. I really think at the meeting we should focus on this, 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 and this. Don't, please don't do that. Be very careful. The email is a, and, and the email is a very sensitive topic because you could accidentally you send something to one of the committee members who then forwards it, you know, maybe a forward all or a reply all in which a couple other uh, persons are added onto that list. There is a danger there. So just be mm -hmm. careful of sending out emails to multiple committee members. Roman would like to speak. Thank you. Mr. Ruyek, um, just a couple of questions, and not to belabor the point, but just to make sure that we all understand. We're a fairly large body, so I wouldn't imagine this would happen here, but um, you know, some of us have Blackberries, those things, no emailing, even though this is a publicly noticed meeting, if eight or more were emailing each other on an item, that would be a separate meeting. Is that correct? You mean while you're sitting here? Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not do that. How about that? Okay? Because what you're essentially doing is communicating on a subject that's you're not uh, communicating in open. You're not deliberating openly and before the public. You're having communications privately together through the medium of a, the electronic device, and you're not discussing it in open as intended by the Brown Act. So please don't have those communications while you're on the day. And then thank you very much. And then just one more. So um, you mentioned, obviously, if it's not related to the work of this commission, then it's not a problem to send out emails, whether it's situations of, hey, I need a ride, or, you know, are you attending this particular event? But it, it, as I heard what you were saying, the caution was you don't want to send that out to all of the members in case someone were to hit reply all and talk about substantive content on that email. So it might be best if, you know, if we're communicating with the group to BC everybody in that group so that we're not inadvertently hitting reply all? Well, I would suggest it, the, the suggestion I, I believe the clerk and we have uh, given in the past is if you have issues with, um, for example, setting meetings or coordinating things, it's best to work through staff on that and they can help assure that, for example, a quorum is not present at a location or that they can otherwise take care of those, let's call those, um, housekeeping matters for you so you don't have to worry about having the communications of substantive matters. Now, having said that, your, if it's a non-substantive discussion, that is not a violation of the Brown Act. If it's, if, if, hey, does anyone want a carpool to the next meeting, that's fine, because you haven't, you're not discussing sub, something that's within the subject matter of this committee. Thanks for the clarification and for having it go to staff. Yes. 
One last question. Just a clarification. So if when we're discussing a topic that has been properly noticed here in public and through the discussions we somehow fall into a new topic or a new subject area that has not been noticed on the agenda, are we then required to hold that discussion until it can be properly noticed at the next meeting? If it drifts off, if the discussion drifts off, tip, I believe the way my my belief is as this committee progresses, that probably won't be an issue as, as many of the topics naturally um, are related to each other. However, if you start to drift off onto a subject that is really unrelated to the noticed agenda item, st I, I, the clerk and I will make sure that we bring it back and focus it to the agenda. Don't worry about that too much. You can stray. It, the, the agenda isn't a straitjacket, but it needs to give the public fair notice of the topics of the discussion of this committee. If you have gone off on a complete tangent and opened up a whole new subject, then we will, we will pull it back in and suggest that we put this on a future agenda and it can just be placed on a future agenda. But yeah, I don't think you'll need to worry about that too much unless the discussion starts right at the beginning of something that's way off the agenda, then we'll, we'll stop that, we'll nip that in the bud. Roman has one more question. Sorry again, just to tag off of that. Um, so very much appreciated keeping us on task. We know we have a few meetings to accomplish a big deal um, of work, but the the basic issue is that if we start talking about an issue that's not agendized, there's not necessarily a problem of discussing that issue, but if it comes down to a point where we're making a decision on that item, if it hasn't been noticed, then it's precluded from being able to make a decision until it's been properly noticed. Is that right? Actually, the Brown Act also prohibits extended discussion on the item. Excellent. So if the discussion gets too far afield, that would also okay. need to be reined in. Appreciate that immensely. Thank you. Are there other questions? Yes, go ahead. Thank you. Um, Bill had mentioned uh, committee meetings, et cetera, and then, um, my association is, you know, very interested in hearing what I have to bring forth and status, I guess, updates on our progress. Is that going to be in violation? No. Okay, thank you. Absolutely, you can do that. And I, right. will, I would suggest and encourage that everyone right. do that because and, and, that's part of the process. Right, and that was one of the things that I'd like to do is to get more of the public, you know, engaged in this process. So I would, uh, you know, like to, you know, give them a status update. Okay. That is no problem. Thank you. Okay, any other questions? And so I'd just like to suggest you've only probably touched on 1% of all the questions that are out there, permutations that are out there. So don't hesitate to contact me uh, if you have any additional questions or, or concerns about this issue. Looks like Mr. Camp has another question. Go ahead. And your contact phone number. Um, <laughs> I assume this is your cell phone number. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's 808-5346 is the main line to, to our office. 808-5346. Or... My email address uh, is mruyak at cityofsacramento.org. You can just email me directly. That's probably the – either way is fine. I, I will do it either way. Steve had a question as well. Quick question, Matt. Um, if we decided as a committee that we wanted to have workshops in the community outside of this chambers or at a different time, are we able to do that under the Brown Act or are we confined to this particular venue? No, we're not confined to this venue. However, there are some restrictions the Brown Act uh, places on the place where the committee could meet. One, we'll just have to make sure that we, we do it pro properly. The, the clerk will have to notice it correctly, post it correctly. It has to be ADA compliant. It has to be open to the public. 
Um, and so there's some practical considerations for where it could be located, but we can do that. Okay. Thank you. Any other questions? Then the other thing I believe is noted on here is I'm also, uh, I guess, um, slated to talk about parliamentary procedure. Now, the clerk has already identified that, in general, we will be following Robert's rules, and she has um, uh, laid that out a little bit, and, and they're not too complicated. Hopefully, this committee won't have too many problems with Robert's rules. We're also um, following, to a large extent, the council's rule of rules of procedure, which I guess um, Stephanie will get to, copies Stephanie will get to the committee in short order. And essentially, if you look through the rules of procedure, you will see in the first couple chapters just general rules of how to conduct yourselves at the meetings in terms of that the chair will lead the meeting and is responsible for ensuring order and decorum and that the committee members are to treat, uh, treat each other with civility and respect and to treat the, um, the public with civility and respect and, and staff, of course. Well, you deserve it, absolutely. And so, in general, you'll, we'll find as we go through here, if there's any questions, Shirley is uh, more than capable of answering any questions you may have about parliamentary procedure as we go along. Um, so I don't think we need to discuss that all too much in detail unless there are some specific questions. No? Okay. Great. Thanks. Thank you. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. One, one thing, Shirley, I uh -huh. forgot. What I should mention is if you do have questions about the Brown Act, I was going to suggest that um, you could go to the League of California Cities has on their website. Go to uh, cacities.org slash opengov, and you can get a copy of this publication called Open and Public, mm -hmm. or you could go to the uh, California Attorney General's website. Just go to the state of California's website and go to Attorney General, and under their publication section, they also have a, um, a publication on the Brown Act. They're somewhat lengthy, but if you wanted more detail about some of the nuances and some of the other uh, aspects of the Brown Act, you certainly can go on the Internet and find uh, these publications. We also have that as a PDF, so we could send that to them as well electronically, so you could just have it as your resource. So it's a great high-level view. Okay, thank you very Thanks much. All right, before we go on to item number four, I want to mention to you another item about the equipment that I realized I didn't mention. You notice on your screen that you have two screens right here. You also notice behind us that we have two screens here. There are split screens if we wish. The agenda is usually displayed on this one so that the public can see it. And then any overheads or laptop presentations are on this one. If you touch your screen on any of those pictures, it will make it large. If you touch it again, it will put it back into its ori original um, size. So just so if you can't read something that's being displayed, that's how that works. Okay, thank you. Item number four is overview of roles and responsibilities of the committee, and I believe this is Scott Mendy. Uh, good evening. Yes, I believe I'm Scott Mendy. Um, so <laughs> what is the purpose and the roles of this committee. Uh, essentially, this is an advisory body to the council. And by the way, um, the full text of, of what I'm talking about is actually in the resolution, uh, which is resolution 2011-206. And that was adopted by the council on April 12th. I'm not going to read that resolution. I'm just going to paraphrase a couple of the key points. So one of which is this is an advisory body to the city council. 
The purpose is to review the council district boundary changes, their proposals that come from the public, to organize, analyze, and refine those redistricting proposals and recommend to the city council on those redistricting proposals. Essentially, this committee, in addition to evaluating those uh, map proposals that are submitted electronically to the city, in addition to that, you can prepare your own. You might say, we really like elements of map number 17, but we don't like this particular element, but we really like the way that they treated this community and the boundaries in map number 314. Please, I hope there are not that many. But whatever it is, that's your job, essentially, to, uh, to wade through, to organize, and then to prepare uh, your composite recommendations. Um, there's a question about how many proposals should you forward on to the council. I think the answer is as many as you feel are necessary to provide a, a reasonable range. We have scheduled for June 14th a progress report to the City Council. And at that time, you'll say, here's what we've learned so far. We got 314 proposals. Uh, I shouldn't keep saying that. You'll actually believe that's how many we have. But we got a certain number of proposals. We've gone through them. We've organized them. There are certain themes that, that are coming out. Maybe this is the way that uh, District 1 is handled, or the split between 7 and 8 are handled, or, you know, whatever that organizing principle might be. You will bring that to the council, and there could be a whole, you know, essentially you've really grouped or analyzed all of the proposals. We expect the council will give you some direction. And then on July 12th, you'll actually make your formal recommendation to the council. And that will be a written report in final form and at that point, you're done. Unless, of course, as individuals, you want to continue to testify, or unless the council says, could you keep refining this particular element, and they may ask to extend your service. So in essence, then, you're to perform whatever duties as the city council directs by motion or resolution. And that's the short and sweet of it. Uh, are there any questions? Roman. Thank you, Mr. Mendez. Um, <clears throat> so on June 14th, we have a deadline to provide a status report to the City Council. Um, I noticed in the schedule that's laid out, we have between now and when the maps are due on July 12th, about 10 meetings yes. to get that done. Um, so is there an opportunity if at that status report we as a body feel that we've not been able to dig into it enough and won't make that July 12th deadline to have the council consider extending that particular deadline? And, and when is the date that the council itself has to adopt a new map? Much of that answer is going to be uh, dealt with by Maria in the, in the next item. <laughs> but some key dates to remember is that by city charter, all this has to be wrapped up by September 7th. Mm -hmm. So the problem is that if you take beyond July 12th, that, that may not give the council adequate opportunity to continue to review. But you may get to a point of simultaneous review, where they're beginning to, under, to, to, 
to vet it, but they ask you at the same time, can you continue to refine with these particular issues to be vetted through the public mm -hmm. and through your discussion? Thank you. Steve. Scott, I have a question. Um, for public participation, um, there's a deadline of May 16th for the community to submit maps to us. That's correct. But that was the same deadline as before our meetings got pushed back from April 11th to the 25th. Are we able to consider also moving that so that the community has more time to participate? Because we only have um, a couple of meetings before now and then. But it seems appropriate, given the delay in the start of this process, that we should move that date back for the community. So essentially the census data was released on uh, March the 8th. So from March 8th, 8th to May 16th is approximately, how many weeks is that, um, eight, eight, nine weeks? So our thinking was that that was adequate time and we've been you know, providing some software training uh, we expect that that will sort of continue, that there will be other folks who want some uh, either, you know, basic training or some more advanced training. So as to the question of whether we could still meet the timeline if we extend beyond May 16th, I'm going to defer to Maria on that one. And maybe I should clarify. I'm not worried about the groups that maybe are more sophisticated that have been using data have, have a lot. The city website went up a little bit earlier for map making, and I'm worried that citizen participation may be impacted, not necessarily organized group participation by that short timeline. Maria. Hi. Um, I'll try to respond to that. I think the public has had about, they'll have six weeks total to, um, you know, from the time that the software, the data was released, then we prepared it and presented it through the software tool. And the community will have approximately six, well, they'll have exactly almost <laughs> six weeks, just a little bit over, um, to uh, develop their maps. The, um, that's a similar time frame that we had last time we did this in 2001. And um, I think uh, the, the challenge is, is uh, you know, as Scott mentioned, is, is if we push one date, then, um, you know, we have that hard and fast deadline on September 7th. So every date that we move, affects the entire agenda, and we just want to make sure that there's enough time for, you know, each phase of the process to get completed and fully discussed and vetted. But, but there's no hard and fast date there. It's just a staff recommendation. Is that am that's I correct. that right? Okay. Yes. Yeah, there's, there's nothing in the charter or the council's direction specifically that says May 16th. It was just our judgment that to make the preliminary um, progress report to the council on June 14th, that's approximately four weeks after release of the, after completion of the maps. If we extended that, that begins to narrow the time frame for this committee to discuss those map proposals and quite frankly, if you didn't have enough time, you would be doing somewhat of a disservice to the council in not providing them with much analysis because you wouldn't have had time to do that. Roman? Um, thank you. Um, thank you for that uh, detail because it also helps again to um, elaborate how much work we have to do in such a short period of time. Um, but along the lines of what Stephen was asking is, is it um, mutually exclusive for those two events to happen concurrently? So, you know, as we're per 
progressing on all the information that other community members or community groups are providing information to us, does that preclude groups who have not yet compiled their information or their concerns, would it preclude them from giving it to us? I mean, if you look at the size of the body, the amount of information that would be coming to us, it seems very difficult that in one meeting at one point in time we're going to be able to review every single recommendation by the residents of the city of Sacramento. And so it wouldn't seem um, problematic in my mind to continue to solicit information as we're reviewing the others and then put some future stop point at that. Just curious of your ideas. Well, of course, my, my first reaction is that people tend to work to a deadline. If you extend the deadline, then people are going to delay their submittal. If, in fact, we got most of the submittals and we kept it open and they begin to trickle in, I think that'd be great. Um, but what I'm concerned about is literally a flood of submittals, and we don't know how many that will be, coming in at the last minute and, and just having inadequate time to begin to analyze them. And, and thank you for that. Um, recognizing that, though, and looking at the fact that this body lost about two weeks in being able to meet and knowing, you know, the deadline didn't really impact that because we're not being presented with maps today, it would just seem as a matter of fairness for the community and now having appointed representatives on, on this body to communicate with members and um, in publicly noticed meetings to communicate among ourselves, it would seem that extending that out by two weeks isn't that unreasonable. Um, and I know there's no chair and a motion probably isn't in order at this particular point, but um, I think that would be something for further discussion, if not later this evening, then perhaps at another meeting. I agree. Cyril yeah. had a comment or a question? Uh, actually, yes, a question and a comment. First, the question is, um, will the city council um, take a recess this summer? And if so, when are they leaving and when, when will they be returning? Yes. They take two weeks in the summer. It includes the week, uh, the first week that they have off is the week that includes July 4th, and then the week following that. So um, whatever, I don't have that right in front of me. I actually might. The fourth so it would be 4th through the, the 18th. Yes, the week of the 4th and the week of the 11th. They will not be here. So they essentially their first day back, the first meeting back is July 12th. Um, July 19th. July 19th. Okay. And the, the, the comment I have is that, like the 314 maps that Scott mentioned, there's, this is going to be a very fluid situation. <laughs> this is going to be a very fluid situation. Um, the timeline, I'm sure we'll get a better sense as to how much additional time we'll need or, or um, if we're getting close to, to crunch time um, as more information comes in. So as many different permutations and combinations of, of maps there may be there may be as many for the for the dates and the timeline I'm sure this will become more more clear to us as as, uh, as time progresses thanks I stand corrected the uh, council recess actually is the two weeks prior to what I just mentioned a week off. so that you were right the first meeting back would be the July 11th, 11th yeah. or July 12th is right. their first meeting yeah and that is the date that this committee is scheduled right. to give its final recommendation to the council. Maybe we could add the council recess to this calendar, yes. maybe, so we could. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yes, go ahead. Not to. 
We have one more speaker. Not to, not to belabor this, but um, as I understand it, one of the principal functions of this committee is public outreach, and um, I think uh, Scott may have presented us a, a solution um, in his earlier comments that if we get, approach this deadline, we could push it back, and in that way um, not uh, maybe stagger the flow of, of the um, – the, uh, the maps that are submitted. I didn't hear a response, though, as to what the specific constraints are, what we should expect in terms of time to review and evaluate a map, or what's involved for staff in terms of, you know, can you handle a, a, a flood of maps or 300 and however many seven? Um. Well, um, it's uh, I've, in the 2001 process, it was fairly challenging process to take in information from a lot of different, uh, with a lot of different themes. Um, lots of different uh, um, approaches to um, the process. So I think that um, you're going to need time, <laughs> and uh, staff will need to take some time once they've been received in order to just present them back to you so that you can, in an organized form, evaluate those. Um, and we don't know how many we'll get. If we get a large number of submissions, then... It's going to be more challenging, certainly, <laughs> to um, organize them, to make sense of them, and then try to, you know, sift through what you would like to bring forward as recommendations. So as it stands right now, you will only have uh, two meetings before you really need to be able to present themes back to the council in a because you'll need to have a report developed the week of June the 6th so that that can be noticed in the council process and then so that you can actually present it on the 14th. So you have to have a little bit of lead time. And uh, so even as it stands now, if we accept them on the 16th, then there's two meetings of this body to consider them in, in any in earnest and then um, talk to the council about what you've, not to make a decision, but to talk about what you understand about those submissions. And then, um, you know, I'd very much like this body to have as much time as possible to do as much outreach as possible, but then also to balance that with um, our need to give fair deliber deliberation to each map. And I think with the new fantastic interactive web technology that we have, we're going to get a lot of maps. <laughs> okay. Any other questions? Yeah, I'm sorry. Sure. Um, <clears throat> uh, sorry. Uh, Ms. McGonigal, is that right? Maria, okay. Thank you. Um, so how many maps have you received today? Uh, well, I think we're, we're formal submissions. We have about uh, eight in the okay. queue right now. And um, then we have about 250 users of the system, active users, accounts in the system. So. That, I hadn't looked at that today, so it changes pretty dynamically. So, And so recognizing that people are deadline-driven, but that's eight, and how long since it's been, since it went live? I think we're on the third week. On the just third starting week. the third week, yeah. So, again, I still am just having a little bit of difficulty understanding, and you know, if you need to beat me over the head with it, do so, so we don't have to have this conversation again. But... Um, is there an issue where it's mutually exclusive for us to get, once we get past the education that we need to have so that we know what we're looking at and what we're doing, to be providing us the information that we currently have rather than waiting for a point in time to say, okay, stop, no more, then the commission takes, it, takes a look at it? I mean, is there is there any 
problems that you see or that the members of this body see with having that be done on a rolling basis rather than a particular point in time? Well, from my perspective, I think it would be the, the, the challenging part would be making sure that it gets communicated in a timely manner to everybody. So the committee would receive um, the information in a format that, you know, the package format. Mm -hmm. So we'd create PDFs of the, you know, what the map looks like, the data behind it, some basic information, and that when each time we got a submission, we could provide that. Um, we would also want to, I mean, at least as we've discussed it at the council so far, the process would be also, you know, provide that to the public in a timely manner mm -hmm. and the council, you know, it, so the committee and the public know what's been submitted and what's being considered. Right. And so just doing that in a, you know, it takes some lead time and. Right, no, no, no. I, I understand so, that, but I mean, if you're looking at, you have eight right now, right? So what would prevent those eight from being released provided once we get over the education part? Right. Mm -hmm. Provided to us, notified to the public, it, it seems that those maps, as they're submitted, are, are are done. Right. Those are the ones that have been submitted. And so, I'm sorry. sorry. Yep. Sorry. I just thought I would add. I think that um, if this is something that everybody agrees is something we should talk about, we should notice it for the next meeting, and then we can address it and let the public know that we're thinking about giving them extra time. The, the only um, the only concern that I have with that is that we're so compacted on a schedule that this particular item is appropriately noticed to be able to try and work out as a body, you know, once we get to the point where we're established as the appropriate body. But it's, it, it's accurately noticed to be able to make a decision as to how we move forward, I think. If I could um, interject something at this point. Um, you don't have, um, again, as you know, a chair or a vice chair in order to facilitate the discussion. It would be my recommendation at this point, and Matt, I'd like your input as well. If we could put this on the agenda as a discussion item for the very next week, I think, even though that's a very short time frame, and I know it is, if we were to alter the schedule in any way and had a full conversation then, we have ways of getting that out to the public so that we could then make sure that everybody understood where we were. That would make, to me, would make the most sense. I don't know, Matt, if you have another idea. Well, here's an alternative idea. Um, we could uh, at this at maybe close this item that um, Scott's item. The next and item is really we're really jumped ahead one item. If you wanted to, we could also jump ahead and, and reorder this. What well, yes. we or, or reorder this to the yes. end after selection of sure. the chair. Is that the wish of the body? Yes. Okay. I'm, I am comfortable with. A little more comfortable with letting the public know we're thinking about changing the dates. I'm a little uncomfortable with saying, well, we'll do that, and there's not notice. So maybe there's some real critical reason why we need to do it tonight instead of a week from now. I'm not sure I understand what that critical reasoning is, given that we haven't told anybody we're going to change these dates. Well, why don't we let's why don't we do this then? I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. So, Mike, sorry. So, thank you. So um, my issue, and Matt, the question is for you, I guess, is that um, in responsibility to your question, I think that the public has been noticed about the discussion relative to this item. And so making a decision as to whether to extend the amount of time that they have to provide further information just doesn't seem rational that we hold off another week 
to make a decision to tell them that you get a couple of extra weeks if it's if it has been in fact properly noticed for that. My recommendation would be we 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 have this agendized next week if we really want to make a decision. Mostly because what we've agendized it is, is a discussion of our calendar and the process as a receive and file information, not as an action item for the, for the committee to take action. Um, having said that, the question is, of course, um, I will just raise the authority of the committee to, it would really be a recommendation from the committee to suggest to staff to alter the timelines of the submission for the committee's convenience in performing its tasks. Um, as a recommendation to staff rather than a, uh, <laughs> as having authority over to staff because the committee would really just be suggesting to staff to open it up for additional time. So in that sense, I suppose we could just get a, um, we really almost don't even need to take a motion on the item. It really would just be a recommendation of the committee to uh, suggest to staff that it move the timelines if it so chose. Um, I guess now that I've talked to myself out of that, we, we could have that discussion <laughs> this week. Okay, so having heard all of what I've heard, here's maybe what works. I'm hearing loud and clear, as I think all of us are, that there is interest among this body to maybe adjust the timeline. So that being said, then the minutes will reflect that that recommendation from this body is going forward. We will have it on the agenda for further discussion and possible action to change what is proposed in this agenda as the, one of the first items on the next week's agenda so that we can accomplish that. How does that sound? Good. Good. I have the clarifying question mm -hmm. for Scott. Scott, I'm sorry, um, clarifying question. So. You, you mentioned in your discussion that it was more of a recommendation to staff to look at that. And so um, is that because it's not agendized, as you were saying, as an action item, or that it's not within the ability of this body to direct staff to change that? It's more the latter. Because the, 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 the I mean, staff is going to do whatever this body suggests that staff do. However, you know, if, if, this, if staff... I suppose staff is here to perform functions for this body and to do uh, a service to this body to ensure that it can perform its function in providing a recommendation to the council. Um, the, how do I say this? The, the May 16th date, as you suggest, is nothing but a staff judgment call on what is best in order to facilitate the process. The rec it would be the recommendation uh, of this body, not a direction of this body, since this body doesn't, let's say, is not, uh, is not this, it does not have supervisorial or directorial responsibility over staff. It would be a recommendation to staff to have them change that, and staff would hopefully abide this committee's decision, I guess is my suggestion. And, and so really it would be a matter for staff to um, meet the needs and, and requests of this body as it recommends rather than taking it as an absolute direction to them um, it, as right. opposed to, say, <clears throat> the city manager's office giving a direction right. to staff to accomplish and, something. And I appreciate that. And I recognize that we're all just appointed by our council members or the council at large, and so I recognize the authority issue with that. What I'm trying to get more to is how does that change 
if we're agendizing it for an action as was suggested, it's still just a recommendation to staff. So whether it's done, and I'm not belaboring the point for mm -hmm. today, that's fine. Um, we've discussed that issue, but I guess part of what would be beneficial is, you know, we're, we're up here sitting here saying we believe that the city council um, has an intent for us to interact with the public as much as possible to make recommendations for how the redistricting should be done. And it may be helpful for all of us if we more fully understand the bounds of this body and what we can request and what we can require of staff. Well, let me suggest, uh, let me suggest this. I think there's been enough discussion from this committee this evening that staff certainly can make a decision uh, without receiving a recommendation from this committee one way or the other. If it so chose after hearing the discussion tonight, it could unilaterally decide to change that date if it were it fit within the parameters and the, and kind of the construct we have and the constraints that staff has with respect to the whole process. Um, and so I think the staff can choose to take the information that it received from this committee tonight and um, ponder that ponder that issue. Um, after this discussion. My other suggestion was, I, as I said, as I had talked to myself in a circle, that I certainly think that this committee could give that direction sufficiently tonight through just its intent and intent recommendation um, and have staff respond to that intent recommendation this evening if it so chose. Scott? It, it might help me to understand, are, are any of the committee members hearing from the public that they wish they had more time, that the, the with, software is too complicated or the, the issues are too complicated? With, with respect, we've just recently been appointed and just took the oath of office. And, and quite frankly, I don't need a member of the community to come out and say, geez, wish we had a little bit more time trying to figure it out. I think that's what we're all trying to say is that um, having additional time is beneficial. Recognizing, I mean, I've sat on that side of the dais every month, so I get it, but recognizing the constraints that staff is going to incur in trying to make sure that we do our job for the council, it just seems that anything we can do to provide greater opportunity for discourse and more time to put information out would be beneficial. Would it, would it be possible then for next week's agenda, and you know, that's not determining what's gonna happen at the end of this, but it, would you be able to put together an alternate or two schedule with, to be discussed with the pros and cons of doing that and what the ramifications would be based on, on your situation so that there could be a very informed discussion here before a decision is made as to what that would look like and what it would do? I think that that's a great idea. I don't I agree. know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Maybe now it's time to move on because I think we've preempted a lot of Maria's discussion. I don't know if she has anything left to talk about, but we're now on to Maria's item. Okay. This is item five, I believe, the and committee schedule of work five. program. And Kim, if we could get the uh, PowerPoint sure. screen up. Is that on yours, Maria? Yeah. There we go. There we go. On one side? Okay. Okay, good. So again, um, good evening. My name is Maria McGonigal. I'm an IT manager in the IT department. I'm also a geographer. I love this process. I've done it for the city in 2001, and I'm looking forward to doing it again. I'm going to give you a presentation on the work schedule, which may be changing a little bit. <laughs> and uh, I think uh, 
I can do that on the fly here. Change this as we. All right. So um, this graphic that you see on your screens um, represents a high-level summary of the steps that are necessary to complete the redistricting process. In your packets, there's a calendar that um, has multicolors on it, lots of detail, um, that uh, uh, tells you about the specific dates, and we spoke of some of those just um, previously. I'll cover the key dates um, through this presentation and those that are up for discussion. Beginning at the far left of the graphic, the process was established by the City Council in January and approved where they approved a community-based participatory redistricting process for 2011. In uh, February and March, staff have been out in the community providing training and education seminars, and which many of you have attended, and uh, many of the community uh, members have also attended. The uh, census data was released on March 8th, as Scott mentioned. Um, the, uh, per the city's charter, we have six months to complete the redistricting process from the release of that data. So that's where the seven, September 7th date comes in for the final adoption of the uh, boundaries. In April and May, the census data, tools, and outreach and training have been made available to the community. We've also provided you know, lots of software training classes and informational seminars, and there's a few more scheduled um, coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks. And um, April through July, the Citizens Advisory Committee, this body, is meeting. The uh, July through August uh, time frame is when the council um, will be considering the recommendations that you make, public comment, and uh, the proposals that have been uh, submitted. And then again, no later than September the 6th uh, will be the date that we need to have the council adopt the final resolution for the new boundaries. So that's the overall schedule. Now I'm going to talk about the specific schedule for the committee as we've uh, outlined it so far. Uh, this group meets every Monday night at 6 p.m. in the City Hall Council Chambers at 915 I Street, and the meetings are, as they mentioned, um, are broadcast live and will be archived and available on the city's website so that if, you, if a community member misses a meeting or if you miss a meeting, you can go back and watch those meetings. If you want to clarify something that you heard or you weren't sure, you didn't take good notes, you can always go back and just watch them li or uh, watch those meetings at any time. That's what we do. <laughs> Um, tonight, April the 25th, is our first meeting, and the meetings are um, scheduled to continue through July 9th, um, with the exception of Monday, uh, May the 30th, which is Memorial Day, and Monday, uh, the July, July 4th. I mentioned the detailed calendar, which you can refer to on page 15 of your packet and is published on the city's website for the public to look at. Um, the committee uh, is scheduled to present a progress report, as Scott mentioned, on June the 14th. Final recommendations are due on July 12th, and the committee may add or delete meetings to fulfill its charge. This is, you know, we, we've come up with an agenda that we think can work within the time frame, but there is some flexibility within that. So staff has uh, organized or developed a work plan in sort of two phases. The first being education, and the second being the evaluation and recommendation of the plan proposals. The education phase includes the overview of the redistricting criteria, which we'll be doing tonight, and uh, Ellen will be up shortly to present that to you. Um, 
In session two, staff will um, demonstrate the software tools um, that are available to the public right now and the submission process for the plans. In session three, we'll cover neighborhoods and the communities of interest and how those factor into the redistricting process. In the fourth meeting, we'll cover race, ethnicity, and language in considerations for redistricting. And we will have a guest speaker, um, Professor Jesse Mills from UCSD, um, will come and speak to us too on that evening. In phase two, the evaluation and recommendation of the proposals um, will be focused um, that, as we, as we discussed, the, the plans are due on May 16th from the public, and staff was anticipating that they would receive those plans and have um, no later than, you know, we, we would have about a week to process them and package them and present them back so that they were easily digestible and comprehensible to this committee and the public. The um, committee will have through early July to consider those plans. The uh, presentation to the council, um, again, uh, for the progress report is June 14th, and then the final recommendations on July 12th. The, progress is, uh, the process is then handed off to the council for consideration of the redistricting recommendations comments from the public and proposals, and then the final adoption of the ordinance, again, as I mentioned earlier, September the 7th. And based on our earlier discussion, we'll, staff will come back and talk about um, what the potential impacts are to changing the uh, May 16th date and what options we have available to um, change that. Are there any questions? Steve has a question, please. Hi, Maria. Hi. I probably will ask a lot of questions, so okay. hopefully you bear with me. Um, not tonight, just over the course of this. I'll try to space them out. Um, you mentioned our session three, uh, we'll talk about communities of interest, but it says neighborhoods here, and I think the city charter separates neighborhoods and communities of interest into two separate criteria. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering, um, is that going to be specifically agendized as two separate criteria, or will they be Yeah, we'll lumped talk, we'll talk about them as separate items. Okay. It just wasn't clear on this, so okay, okay. thank you. Roman? Sorry, Maria. <laughs> I ask a lot of questions, probably will over the course and tonight, so just my nature. Um, so thanks for the overview. It helps a lot. I have a couple of questions relative to um, the timing that we have. So the calendar that we have, the 10 meetings that we have, was that originally envisioned as including 12 meetings, you know, with the – so the change, so we're like two meetings short. Yeah, uh, when we uh, had to adjust the schedule, right. we did, um, we had uh, we had set one meeting in that original plan uh -huh. um, with no agenda. Right. And then um, we reorganized some of the items for the others to. Sure. You want to go ahead and address that, Scott? Essentially, when the council extended the application period for this committee, um, we had to shorten our time period by two weeks. We eliminated one which was a free-floating, you know, to be determined. So we said, well, let's just get rid of that one. The other one was that we had planned to, to demonstrate the software twice to this committee. The first time would be an overview, and then the second would be, now that you've had a chance to play with it, you probably have some uh, more advanced questions. Mm -hmm. So we eliminated that second uh, opportunity, so there's only one opportunity to play with the software, so it is much more condensed. So, um, a couple of follow-up questions on that. How, 
long did you envision meetings to last? Scheduling it out of that 12 or 10 meeting calendar. Each night? Right. Uh, six to eight, I think they're okay. two hours. So um, is there anything, again, in trying to figure out a way without the committee coming together and deciding we may need more time on this, is there a way to condense some of the things, perhaps on the education phase, so that you know sessions two and three or three and four or two, three and four can be held in one meeting? Just asking the question, obviously, it's up to the body to decide if that's something that they want. But in order to front load it as much as possible with the education in the fewest number of meetings necessary. Um, and then the second question from that is, there's no question that the overview of the software is instrumental in us being able to do our job, but is that something where it, it seems like it would be better accomplished given the schedule that we have on a, and I don't want to kill you guys on staff time, but on a less than a quorum basis with the members to schedule kind of um, within the week prior to being able to sit down? It's, um, it, I think that there's sort of two, two parts to that question. Right. One is, is that um, it would be, I think, beneficial to provide an overview demonstration in this forum sure. so that the community can have access to that both through you know, the live um, streaming of the mm -hmm. broadcast and also that it will be recorded and then they can refer to it okay. later. So that, that piece of it, I think right. it should be included, whether, you know, how extensive or how long that presentation, you know, has to be is, you know, so debatable, I guess. Right. Okay. <laughs> and um, so I would suggest that we still keep it on an agenda item okay. um, and uh, spend some time on it so that right. the community can be. Okay. Um, and, and then to the first part about condensing or, or rather, not condensing, but agendizing in one hearing or two hearings, the second, first, the second, third, and fourth. Right. Um, Do you want to address that, Scott? Um, yeah, let me just sort of think out loud here. The, the thought was that the education period is occurring while the maps are being prepared. So if you extend the map preparation, that actually gives more time rather than less time mm -hmm. for education. So if you condensed the education modules to provide more time for discussion of the map proposals, but you don't have the maps in front of them. I'm, but I'm, we have eight already, and they're coming in, right? It, it, we have eight. It's, it, again, difficult to know how many we're going to have at the end, and um, it, it seems to us that having the full array of maps and providing some, um, you know, broad uh, discussion of all of right. them would make more sense right. than literally um, dissecting each one individually. Could I suggest that the same, this kind of to me feels like the same kind of discussion we were having before. So maybe if we take these comments as um, something to be considered as the proposals that are going to be brought next time as to what any adjustments might make and roll those into that so we can have a full conversation we could address that at next meeting. Does that make sense? Well, actually, this, this discussion is actually very helpful for us mm -hmm. in starting to think through what, you know, if, if we were to try to adjust the schedule, right. this gives a sense of what the committee is looking for 
um, gives us a chance to think about where we meet, need to make those adjustments. Exactly. But it is a, so a decision's not made this evening, but it's right. feedback for you so that when you come back next week, you're hearing all of this and it can be addressed at that time. Exactly. Shirley right. and Scott, could I just interject really fast? Over here, Michelle. This side. Sorry. Sorry. Thank you. Um, when you guys are looking at the issue that is unresolved here before the committee, is there maybe something to consider about possible I don't know about discrimination is the right word, but if we have the eight maps of currently in and we start looking at those before the other committees can get theirs, is there a little bit, and I'm totally with you on, you know, getting mm -hmm. the information fast and early so that we have as much time as possible, but do we then disadvantage those communities that give us their map later at some point, and is there an advantage to getting them all at one time so that there's no type mm -hmm. of... You know, we've seen this map for a little bit longer than another one. I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah. So I, I would – I'm not sure. I mean, the, the, the answer to that is I, I'm not sure if, if it would, um, you know, preference uh, the committee towards maps that were early, submitted earlier or later. But um, a couple of things I just wanted to mention, which um, – that you can also – it should consider in this discussion is that the council did approve the, the overall time frame and process. So there are some – you know, they didn't specifically um, identify each of these dates, but real substantive changes to the schedule would probably need to take back to the council. The other um, item is uh, in, the pro in terms of the process, we just want to make sure that, um, that uh, what we have been communicating to the public and to the council throughout this process up to now is that the submissions would be held and, the sh and then they would be made available after the submission deadline. So we don't want to change the rules sort of midstream. So we have been communicating that to people up to this point. So, you know, if there was some, you know, advantage potentially to doing it earlier, they wouldn't have known that up to this point, those that we've communicated to with so far. Steve, so I just want to make sure that that's out there. I, I just wanted to offer, I think this is going to be probably a struggle for the committee over the course of this time, but we sort of have an existential um, question about what our role is because it's kind of a unique body within the city. Um, the council created us, but we don't have any binding authority, yet we're supposed to be their medium in some ways to the community that they already are talking to. So we do have an awkward, if not very constructive, positive part of this process, but I think as long as the city staff and everyone understands that this is going to be a uh, feeling in the dark, kind of like trying to figure out how to do this best. I think mm -hmm. it'll all work out just fine. But always for me, it's to err on the side of allowing for more participation, not less, making sure we've outreached to more people, not fewer, that um, the voices who potentially could be excluded by a decision are reached out to and they're included. Um, and I think, you know, as long as mm -hmm. those principles are what we're following, We'll, we'll do this really well, but I think that the existential issue here is not going to go away. Charter Commission had a very similar, yeah, yeah if you all recall how that process um, went. It's just the nature of the... <laughs> let's of the not commission. bring that into the room now. Just had to throw it out there. <laughs> um, there's one thing to remember as well. Um, there's nothing, um, and again, it'll come back when this comes back, that precludes you from adding a meeting or two should you so desire. So if that is another way to help fit in all the things that need to be discussed, that could also be part of, the, of next week's discussion. So there's there's remedies. Madam Chair, if I may, um, you know, I, I, I think we have the discretion to add more time. Mm -hmm. 
so this is not a problem. Mm -hmm. I am concerned that people may feel like someone else got in the front of the line and got considered. You know, mm -hmm. if, if I've had a map out there for three weeks, I've got a lot more opportunities for feedback than the person that brought theirs in last and that only got made public three weeks later and maybe the public doesn't have. So I, I, I actually am more comfortable with the notion that everybody's maps get shared with us at the same time so the person who was in the front of the line doesn't get more time for feedback than the person who who wasn't there. So I just that's something for us to consider, but uh, it is a, a, an equity issue for me. I, I did have one additional question, and I don't know if it's appropriate time to ask it, but when you laid out the kind of the sequence of the meetings, is there a reasonable question to ask, where does the issue of class get discussed in our deliberations? Can you rephrase that? Say that? Restate that, please. Well, we talked about race and ethnicity in, in, in uh, neighborhoods. And I'm always interested in the question of where does class get considered? Economic. Economic. I'm sorry. That's the way I use the word yeah. class. I'm sorry. Okay. Economic. Your economic status. And in some sense, it's a social status issue as well as an economic issue. But however you conceive of the notion of class. Where does that get? Where, where, where do when when is is it appropriate, and when would it be appropriate to I'm talk gonna, that through? I'm going to defer that to Ellen's presentation. She's going to talk about the criteria okay. um, for Thank redistricting, you. and um, and uh, then and then we can talk about it more fully in the context of all the criteria that we can use in the redistricting process, and then. Um, you know, and, and she may not address it specifically, but then it'll, we'll have a context for the discussion a little bit more. Okay. Just one more. One more. Okay. Roman? Sorry, Maria. Just to follow up on um, something that was said, um, I, I think the information that you provided relative to what was communicated to the communities of interest who are sending maps is very helpful. Um, I, I, for one, didn't recognize that it was being communicated that there was a set deadline and nothing would be distributed prior to that. Um, so I think that makes the uh, statements of um, the fellow commissioners even more important. The one question that I did have, though, is um, you mentioned that we have the ability to add or delete meetings, um, but then you kind of alluded to the substance of the meetings themselves, we may have less discretion, and that may be something that goes would need to go back to the commission, so or to the council. Um, uh, could I'll you elaborate on that? Yeah, a not bit? the substance of the of the specific meetings, but just right. that the the general. You know, this uh, basically this calendar with some right. small modifications has been right. presented to council and the public, and that there's an expectation that we'll follow this basic right. agenda, and we have you know opportunities to modify it as we. You know, as, as you see fit, I think, to, to fulfill your charge here. But just any, you know, significant modifications to the um, to the calendar, we would want to definitely bring, I think, bring back to the... Right. So we'd have the ability, if needed, to add meetings, to add oh, yeah, community absolutely. meetings, to do things of that nature. I think, yeah, adding but, additional meetings right. wouldn't be any... But changing, changing substantive deadlines or things like that, we just want to make sure everybody is aware and that we've communicated fully to all the different... Sure, uh, I understand. And yeah. I'm trying to just track with you know, what Matt and Scott were saying. So, but the relative substance of whether we um, 
turn four meetings into two meetings, things of that nature. That's more the body directing staff that that's something that we would like. You'll take it back, mm -hmm. yep. look at it, say, hey, does that make sense with what we're doing, and then yep. make a particular decision from there or provide us with options, and then we can say, yeah, we like option B, something yep. like that. Absolutely. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay. Are we ready for the Cyril? I apologize for belaboring this uh, subject, so I'll be I'll be very brief. Um, I think that uh, Michelle makes a very made a very thoughtful observation about the potential announcing a deadline and then a potential advantage of some groups versus another. So I, I would concur that we should stick with a a set date when this body will see all of the begin to see all of the maps, um, and also although there is a deadline. Um, once again, I think it's going to be a very fluid situation. I, I, as an example, I see a coalition of groups, neighborhood, other socioeconomic, otherwise, bringing forth a map, and then through the process of deliberation, maybe that that set of groups forms unites with another set of groups, and they, they find some common ground and compromise. Then there'll be another map, and th there's nothing to preclude someone from a month from now or 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 later. Um, from just coming forth with a map during public comment or whatever the case may be. So I, I like the idea of us beginning to see the maps at the same time to give everyone an equal um, opportunity. Um, but also, you know, just keep in mind this can be fluid. Last thing I'll say is that uh, we, we as a body, I believe, will have the ability to decide the content of our of our agenda, we'll, we'll be able to, that, that will also be fluid. Where we'll run into a problem is extending potential problems extending our timeline because that that will be trumped by what the council's desires are because that that affects their schedule so um, all, all of that being said I just would um, just want to say that like I said it would be fluid so let's let's keep that in mind and I think there's going to be a lot of things that change between now and you know before this whole um, process is up thank you okay thank you are we ready for our next are you okay thank you Ellen this is the review of redistricting criteria, item number six. Good evening. I'm Ellen Marshall with the Community Development Department. And this evening, I'll be providing you with an overview of redistricting criteria, a brief overview. Specifically, we'll be discussing the city charter, state and federal requirements, and the city's criteria. As you've heard several times already this evening, the Charter requires the adoption of an ordinance modifying the council district boundaries within six months of receiving the census data. The Charter states that consideration shall be given to these seven criteria when redistricting. The Charter doesn't spell out what the criteria means, and the following slides will explore the definitions in greater detail. Here we have state and federal requirements. The California Elections Code provides for consideration of virtually the same factors found in Section 23 of the City Charter. The Federal Voting Rights Act is intended to protect the voting power of certain classes such as ethnic, racial, and language minority groups. Communities of interest is similar to the concept in the Voting Rights Act, except that the Voting Rights Act specifically addresses protected classes and the Voting Rights Act is law as opposed to merely a consideration. And you'll be discussing the Voting Rights Act in more detail during Session 4 on May 16th. 
eligibility criteria. All council districts shall be nearly equal in population. Examples of topography and geography within the city of Sacramento would be the American River, the Natomas East Main Drainage Canal, or railroads or freeways that have limited crossings. Redistricting literature doesn't address cohesiveness, but the criteria does overlap with communities of interest and topography and geography. The city's charter uses the term continuity. However, the redistricting term of art is contiguity. Contiguity refers to the appearance of a district. A district is contiguous if all that the lines that create it are connected. A district consisting of two or more unconnected areas, such as, as the example on your screen, is an area that's not contiguous. In this case, if you were to draw the boundaries of District 1 at Interstate 80, that blue area to the right, or at least my right, of the screen is Valley View Acres, and that would not be contiguous with the rest of North Natomas because of the panhandle annexation area in the middle, which is a, that white area, which is a pending annexation application with the city. Local I, oh. In the uh, primer that was done, it appeared that this was an example and this was acceptable, and are you saying something different? Because I'm confused by that. Sorry to interrupt, but... No, that was specifically an example of what not to do. It would be considered a non-contiguous. So please don't take that and say, hey, staff said it was okay, because it's not. Okay. I didn't read it right. I would... Just clarify one item on that, is that this is one of the criteria. So it's possible that you could end up with a non-contiguous district if the other criteria were in alignment. So it's one factor among many. Low compactness is considered to be a sign of potential gerrymandering by courts, state, and academic literature. More often than not, compactness is ill-defined by the I-know-it-when-I'll-see-it standard. Geographers, mathematicians, and political scientists have devised countless measures of compactness, each representing a different concept. And then the functional relationship of compactness is the citizen's ability to relate to one another. Communities of interest can be identified by referring to the census, demographic studies, surveys, or testimony of community activists and civic leaders. And to answer Mr. Camp's earlier question, the socioeconomic class could be considered a community of interest, but census data doesn't pro provide that type of information. In past redistricting efforts, the City Council has utilized neighborhood boundaries as an important consideration in drawing district boundaries. The City's neighborhoods will be discussed in greater detail in Session 3 on May 9th. In addition to the redistricting criteria already discussed, there are other criteria that are neither mandated nor recognized by City Charter, but may be considered. Stability with respect to the existing boundaries is to minimize the number of residents that are redrawn into new districts. The county registrar, registrar has requested the council district boundaries consider the boundaries of other elected districts. The city's charter does not preclude the use of political incumbency as a criteria. 
and the city anticipates greater population increases in new growth and future uninhabited annexation areas because the timing and the exact boundaries and populations of these growth areas and annexation areas are unknown the redistricting map can only delineate the city limits as they exist today but case law has shown it is possible to give consideration to future growth areas but you have to identify the future population growth and base it on reliable highly accurate evidence in conclusion, equal population is the primary objective in the redistricting process. The other six criteria in the city's charter should be considered. The remaining criteria are permissive and could also be considered. And I'm available for questions, as well as Maria and Scott. Um, hi, Ellen. Thank you very much for the presentation. Um, quick question, and this goes back to the um, District 1 map. So when you were mentioning that um, one of the criteria that can be considered is the potential future annexation, so in that District 1 map where we see that there's no uh, contiguity because With of the panhandle right, project. Right, because of the panhandle, mm -hmm. that though would be something that could be considered to make that an appropriate designation because you're yes. looking at how does yes. that come about. And then in the south as well, I imagine. Yes. Just, right. Okay. Thank you. Bill? One of the questions I've been a little confused about is what's the variance? Uh, how much above and below the 58,311? And my understanding is that the federal courts have treated this amount of variance different than the state courts. So I'd be interested in if that's your perspective and in turn, um, around what what principle should we be guided in terms of what, how much above and below the 58,311 we can go? Matt. Yes, Mr. Camp. There is a general principle that's recognized both uh, at the federal level as well as the California Supreme Court level to indicate that there is a acceptable deviation at the city level from the optimal uh, population. I want to stress that the goal of the committee should be to get to equal population at the 58311 number. That should be the prime focus of this committee. However, the courts do recognize that due to local considerations and um, the the uh, peculiarities of local jurisdictions, topography, and neighborhoods, and um, uh, historical situations that deviations at the local level are acceptable. The general rule is that a total deviation of 10% would be deemed acceptable without the need to engage in substantial proof of the need for deviation. That is a rough guideline at best, and it is not absolute that a deviation of less than 10% would not be subject to criticism and attack. Generally, if it's over 10%, it's, let's say, a prima facie um, uh, excessive deviation that the courts will take a dim view of. So uh, at, at the farthest reaches, it really should keep at a 10% level that would uh, allow the city to establish, I'm sorry, let me go back for a second. 
And in engaging in a deviation from the optimal population, it needs to be made upon legitimate, legitimate considerations. You can't just say, I'd like to have this many in this district and 10% less in this district because I like this district council member better than the other district council member. That would not be a legitimate state consideration. It would be one of the considerations that Ellen has discussed because the American River runs through here. It makes sense to keep this neighborhood here or this neighborhood here, and that's going to inevitably lead to a deviation. Well, that makes sense. But there needs to be some kind of legitimate state, legitimate city interest in that deviation. Um, so there is an acceptable level of deviation, and at the local level, it's almost uh, it's very difficult to get to actual equal population. It's, I suppose, theoretically possible, but I don't know if it's actually possible with the, the particulars of the city of Sacramento. So deviation is acceptable. Um, it should be kept to an absolute minimum. And if, in a minimum, and if you cannot do it and there are legitimate state considerations, um, deviations of up to 10% will be given deference in terms of a challenge to their legitimacy in the sense that it will be presumed to be okay. Um, at least that's the way the current state of the law is. Of course, you know, everything could change. The, the, with new software and the technology that was not available in the years gone by, the courts may decide to do a lesser deviation is the new standard. So I would suggest that no one should take solace in the flexibility of a 10% deviation and that if you go up to 10%, everything's going to be okay. There's always a risk. Um, uh, but there is an acceptable level of flexibility at the local level. So start with the concept that let's try to get equal population. That's the safest bet. No sweat. If there are legitimate reasons to deviate from that, there is a certain amount of wiggle room at the city level. Um, at less than 10%, we, the city will likely be given deference that it is an, uh, it is an acceptable deviation. Anything over 10% will be suspect. And by the way, when I say deviation, there are, there, I'm talking total deviation, largest district to smallest district, not optimum population to the deviation in one particular district. So we do have one so, member who is cute. Yes. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Can I just ask to follow okay. up So is there a ranking of preference or a ranking in terms of you've given us this list and uh, some of these criteria by the courts looked upon as more important than others, and therefore there should be some different weight given to one of these criteria versus another. All of the criteria that Ellen uh, has, has discussed are legitimate state criteria, and if there are decisions based upon those criteria, they would essentially be given equal weight by the courts. In other words, the criteria set forth in the charter, the prime consideration and the most important consideration for the committee is equipopulousness, right? We start there. The other criteria that are set forth in the charter are, no, are in essence, no more important than any other of the identified criteria. They're all legitimate state considerations in the redistricting process. So does that mean that the federal rules with regards to uh, the dilution of influence by a protected class is no more important than all the rest of these criteria? 
Oh, oh well, I'm sorry. I, mis I, mis I'm, I misunderstood your question then. In terms of identifying legitimate criteria for de from deviating from the optimal population, the criteria set forth in the charter are of essentially equal weight. They're all considered legitimate state considerations. You're talking about the, the Voting Rights Act considerations about vote dilution and minority dilution. That is a federal requirement, and that requirement, of course, is incumbent upon the city above and beyond any other legitimate consideration in the charter. In, in, in essence, the city must make a determination and make boundaries that don't result in minority vote dilution. Yes, that, that is a consideration that comes after the equipopulousness standard, the Voting Rights Act requirements of non-minority vote dilution is the next most important thing that the city has to consider, if that's in fact a case in this city. And then you make your decisions uh, on these other criteria. So with regards to the word sufficiently large um, in the protected class, how do we uh, how do we understand that term that, that a voting that a population is sufficiently large to influence uh, the outcome of an election? As I understand it, I don't, I'm 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 I'm, out, I'm I'm asking a question that I'm not quite clear enough how to make this. I, but that's, I think that's the blood and guts of what I'm trying to figure out. For purposes of determining a violate, potential violation of the Voting Rights Act, there are things known as the three jingles factors, and that's based after a Supreme Court case, about, what, uh, about whether or not there's been a minority vote dilution. There are different kinds of districts. There are uh, minority opportunity districts. There are majority minority districts. Typically, we're talking about majority minority districts. In other words, there's a sufficiently large minority population within a district that if they all voted as a block, they could elect a candidate of their choice. Mm -hmm. that, is, uh, that is essentially what you're referring to now. But before I want to get into this too deeply, I'm going to let me just suggest we are going to have a much more detailed discussion about this topic in session four. Okay. And I think we'll have a lot more questions and uh, better answers when we get to session four to discuss really the issues of the Voting Rights Act. Okay, I just I want to make sure that the public is as well informed about that as possible so that when people hear about this, they can think about it uh, strategically and not emotionally. Yeah, I, th I think, I think um, and that's the intent of session four is to discuss this issue because we know this is a, a particular issue of, of interest and of importance, and so that's generally the gist of session four. Thank you. I believe Bernard is next, and we'll get to Lynn. Please turn on your mic. Thank you. Uh, one question for my clarification. It sounds like, from what you told us, the number one criteria and the main criteria is equal population. Underneath that, we have A, B, C, D, E, F, G, which is the other items to be considered. Once the work is finished, we have an acceptable standard deviation of plus or minus 10 within the high to low. My question, what's been in the last three or four census, what's been the normal deviations that the work has normally finished within? 
Uh, actually, uh, Scott may have that detailed information. My general recollection is actually in the 2000 redistricting process, the city actually had a deviation in District 8 that was um, 13 percent, or there was a total deviation of approximately 13 percent in the city, um, give or take, 13.7 percent, something like that. Yeah, actually, the, the detailed numbers on that are in your next, the session um, three primer. And uh, when in 1971, when the districts were first established, I think the total deviation was less than 1%. That the number one consideration was let's just make the population equal. And in uh, 1991, there was a, I think that's when the uh, population was really adjusted in order to um, create MetaView as a community of interest. So that really is where that district skewed the numbers. Um, otherwise, we've been generally within that 10 percent, with that one exception. Uh, Lynn? <laughs> In the interest of time, I'm going to keep my question very short. Um, to make me a better understand the other redistricting criteria, can you give me an example of what stability means? Yes, it would be looking at how boundaries had been drawn in past redistricting efforts and trying not to move citizens from one district to another that had been moved in the past, trying to preserve the boundaries as much as you can. Thank you. Steve? Matt, as we go into that session three, if we do um, uh, talk about communities of interest, I think we should break it out, given a lot of the conversation that we've had, into a, a specific topic, um, given how vague it can be. Um, and I don't know, sorry, I was talking to Matt because you're the attorney, but uh, Scott, um, whoever uh, on staff can help address that. I think it's a major issue, and I think there's a lot of uh, interest in it. So I, I, would, I, don't, I can't make that recommendation on behalf of the committee, but... <laughs> I, th I think that is the, in the, the intent of staff, and I believe, as, as Maria but mentioned, is to make sure that communities of interest, and we particularly, staff has been particularly sensitive to the communities of interest issue as this process has gone along and knows that that is something that is going to be subject of much discussion as this process goes forward and certainly will be a separate discussed item as the process goes on. I guess my point is for the public to have fair notice that that's going to be discussed. The slides don't show that very clearly, but as, as we get closer to that, just to make sure the public knows, because I think that is a topic of interest um, beyond this group, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of confusion about it as well. I would add also that whereas tonight I think was predominantly a staff presentation to talk about criteria and the like, when we get to issues of neighborhoods and communities of interest, that's really where we need to hear from the community more than ever. And we're hoping that staff presentation will be brief and that it really does feature presentations from the community. Okay. Does that conclude this item then? Okay, thank you very much. We are now to our last item, which is a discussion calendar and the one item that does require a vote. So at this time, I would like to open this um, subject up to discussion and ultimately a vote to choose the chair and the vice chair. Bill, raise your hand if you want to speak. Oops. I'd like to nominate Julius Cherry as a chair. Um, I can speak on that if you'd like, but just Julius is someone who's 
been familiar with the community and I think uh, can serve in that role in a very thoughtful manner. Is there discussion on that? That's a motion. Well, it, as a committee member, I'd like to hear what the process is okay. um, because I think we need a fair process. On the process, I was wondering if, um, because we have nine appointed members mm -hmm. and six at-large members, if maybe we'd like to have, you know, try to have one be the chair and the other be the vice chair. The process is the way it's laid out and what would normally happen the way we did it with the Charter Review Committee is there is as much discussion, there can be discussion and then a motion, or a motion has certainly hit the floor here. Discussion follows that motion. In the end, um, we can have substitute motions, et cetera, as it goes around. There is no criteria that, that states that it has to be one that's appointed by the council or one that is an at-large. It can be any combination or whatever the group feels to be the best for the group. So that being said, we now have a motion on the floor. We don't have anyone yet nominated as vice chair, but that certainly doesn't mean we are ready for a vote by any means. So all of you can speak have alternates however you want. Yes, Roman. So uh, I'm sorry, just on the um, process issue again. So um, a a as we're moving forward with this, uh, one of the issues that we're to look at is the um, city council. Uh, I'm sorry, the what's the document called? The council rules of procedure. Council rules. Uh -huh. And so um, does that specifically address the issue of appointed bodies? Choosing chairs and vice chairs. No, this body so, selects its its own. Right, but I mean, um, and that's because of the the um, uh, resolution, right? Right. So the resolution, the resolution gave the established okay. the criteria okay. for this body, okay. right? So there is really no no parameters around that. Lynn, did you have a question? Um, can we make a uh, can I make a nomination for chair? Yes, sir. Well, at this point, actually, we have a motion on the floor, okay. so we need to discuss that and see if there's a support for that. And if that is not going anywhere, then maybe there's a substitute motion for an alternate, and we'll, we, we can go like that. Do we have, brother, second, brother, do we have to second the motion? Yes, I need a second. I, I, I second the motion. I was going to, um, now that we can have discussion, I was actually going to ask Brother Camp to withdraw his motion for the time being so let people nominate who they'd like and then after the nomination, so we kind of understand who's interested, then make a motion. And I don't know if that people think that's fair. They just don't want to do that. But, um, Bill, you're first out of the gate, and it's kind of like having the first map at the table. Um, I think <laughs> since we've never gotten to meet, there's no structure. I just think that in the interest of fairness to everyone, that that, that would be a more open process um, well, and not necessarily well, hurt anybody's feelings or allow everyone to compete fairly. Well, so the motion's been second. Yes, yeah, we but he, a, well, he can withdraw his motion. Then that's what I'm, I'm asking. You know, would you, if I could suggest, in terms of parliamentary procedures, before we, you are asking someone to withdraw a motion, it's best if we have a full discussion as about what, the pros and cons of this, because it has not been fully discussed at this time. So are there people who would wish to speak to the motion that's on the floor? I, um, I I personally would be interested in hearing what Lynn has to say. I don't I, I, I don't want anyone's voice to be silenced right. because of Robert's rules of order. And so, if that's in the form of a motion or a suggestion or, or whatever okay. it may be, um, I, I'd be interested in hearing what if anyone wants to speak, what they have to say before uh, before voting up or down on there's, someone. 
There's also nothing that precludes you from actually nominating yourself. I mean, I need to say that. You don't have to nominate someone else. So if you are interested in being the chair, you may uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but just the question on that. Since there's been a motion and a second, mm -hmm. that precludes anybody from nominating anyone else prior to the vote being taken. And on so the, if the is that right motion, or is that incorrect? No, you, you could. You'd have to vote on it, but you could vote it down, you and then we it. could remake the motion after some discussion has been or had. Or you could substitute. Or you could have a substitute, substitute motion. motion. Yes. Yeah, I, I would just like to say, you know, we all just met. Mm -hmm. I understand there were some calls made to members before this meeting to try to line up people to run for things. I don't think that's the way we should start off. I think we should have a robust discussion about who we are, who wants to do this job, who's best qualified for the job, because at the end of the day, this commission is going to be judged on its independence and openness. And if we start off on the wrong foot like this, and I'm not saying we are, Bill, I'm just, you happen to look that way, and that's the way we started. Mm -hmm. um, I think we should have a discussion about it. So okay. if you want to withdraw, fine. If not, then we can vote on it. I, I thought to, I thought to, person who's managing the meeting said if other people want to make no other motions, are you suggesting we couldn't nominate other people? I simply was interested in nominating Julius because I think he'd make a good job. If you want to nominate somebody else, I don't I don't have any trouble with us nominating 15 people. Okay, well, that's what I thought, but I I'm, thought we were okay. precluded because you made the motion. I may be wrong. In that. That's I, my I, interpretation. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. My intent was to nominate Julius. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So. And if my second okay. agrees to that, I would put Julius's name in nomination. Yeah, I'm not interested in excluding anybody. Okay. Never have been. <laughs> I thought okay. the process allowed us to nominate multiple candidates. I didn't realize we were closing it off. So I second because for discussion I will give purposes. more. But yes. I, I know what he's done for the city, mm -hmm. and I know the kind of person that he would be in terms of fairness, and therefore I second it. There could be some others that I thought also could be nominated, mm -hmm. in which case we would hear from the nominees so all would get to know them. I did not see this as a closed process. At this time, and Matt, let me ask you your opinion on this. Given where we are with this, it might, it sounds to me like it would be advisable for those who have an interest in nominating another person or themselves to be able to, at this point, go ahead and queue up and speak to put that nomination on the table. Go ahead. For example, a substitute motion. Right with a second to open it up for full nominations and then vote on the substitute motion to open it up for discussion of the nominations. That would be exactly. certainly a good way to do it. Or to have I, this one withdrawn. So I, I don't think either Bernard or I are trying to limit anybody else from making, sure, no, exactly. making a, a nomination. I, that's not our intent. So I don't mind withdrawing it and, re, and nominating uh, Julius as a, as a candidate. I, I, okay. I Nobody here is trying to exclude people from nominating whoever they want to. I okay. think Jews is a good person. So if I heard you correctly, you say you are willing to withdraw this Absolutely. for a further discussion, in which case is that agreeable to the yes. second? Thank you. This motion is withdrawn. And then and I'll put Julius's name and nomination. And now if we can have a conversation around those who are willing to step up or to be nominated to act as chair. Lynn. Um, well, with that said, I'd like to nominate Roman Porter as a chair. Okay, that is one person that you would like to consider yes, for, for possibilities as chairperson. Yes. Are there any others at this time that would like to throw a name into the hat or their own name? You consider Julius. And Julius is in. Yes, we will. Okay, we'll add that one. Are there any others? Any others? 
Okay. All right. So the discussion then it, now before us is whether we have um, a vote for Roman or for Julius Cherry as the chair. May I, may I make a suggestion mm -hmm. um, to the committee? Is that um, I, I've only met Roman again tonight after many years, and I, I've never met Julius, and I, we haven't had the opportunity to hear him say anything yet tonight. So maybe we could have them say a few words before um, we do that, and then maybe entertain a motion after that. Um, since we don't have a chair, the, you yes, know, I'm just right. trying to fulfill the spirit of our charge. Um, since I'm not running, so I'm not trying to make this happen one way or another. <laughs> trying to be neutral here. Yeah, yeah, so no, thank no, you. no. I mean, okay, Julius, would you like to go first? I, I certainly have no intentions of making any campaign speech. <laughs> if I am nominated and elected, I will serve. I served the city for 31 years. I do have a, a significant amount of experience chairing a commission. I chaired the Sacramento County Project Planning Commission, indeed, for three, I think, out of the seven or year, years and a half years or so I was on it. So I have experience. I have no ax to grind. I have no political agenda. I was nominated. I appreciate uh, Bill Camp nominating me. I will certainly do my best to serve, to be fair, to be open, to make sure everybody gets an opportunity to be heard. My, my interest is in moving the process forward. Thank you. Okay, Roman. Um, Thank you, and Lynn, thank you for the nomination. Um, I would just say that, you know, obviously I don't have the um, experience that um, <clears throat> Julius has had relative to chairing different commissions. I do currently work as the executive director of the FPPC, um, and in that job I take very seriously our role of being nonpartisan and a neutral um, arbiter of issues that come before us, and I think that uh, one of the most politicized issues can be the redistricting process. And I think that um, what I'd just like to say is if uh, elected to serve as chair, I would do everything that I can to make sure that we don't operate in any partisan manner and that as many individuals as possible from the community are sought out to provide input to this body. So thank you again. Are we yes. able to discuss this matter a little bit further? Absolutely. Go ahead. Uh, I'd like to echo Mr. Maviglio's statements. Uh, I feel uh, – I don't know Mr. Cherry or Roman Porter very well either. Uh, I, I just feel um, – I'd like to have some sort of discussion. I, your, your speech is notwithstanding. I, I feel like we're being put in a position of voting for something that very few of us really know anything about. And uh, since I think both of you agree it's very important who's going to be the chair, I, I would welcome further discussion. Okay. Go ahead. Could we have a brief description from staff as to what the role and function of the chair is? As I understand it, it's essentially just presiding over the meetings. It is presiding over the meetings. It also works with staff in developing the agendas. It, um, it plays an active role in helping to formulate the next steps as to what's going to happen. Maybe it's with community outreach or how it all comes together. So there are meetings in agenda planning that occur with staff um, that helps to formulate that. But again, the role then is the meetings is to chair the meeting and conduct the, the uh, public outreach process. And is there anything preventing us from having more than one chair, like a co-chair? I believe the resolution that is uh, established by council um, declares it to be a chair. And a, vice, and a vice chair, right. So, Then could the vice chair be a participant in, in the agenda setting and other meetings? 
There would be nothing that would preclude that. But it wouldn't be required under the. Okay, so that'd be a matter of custom, not of. Okay. Right, exactly. And of time constraints, honestly. It gets to be time constraint. Are there other questions or any other discussion around this? I think that um, the only thing I would offer is I hope that to the extent possible, the chair and vice chair are representative of our city. We have a very diverse city. In fact, I think the most diverse census tract in the whole state is in the south part of the city. Um, so, you know, we have a committee that reflects much of what makes Sacramento great. And just through this process, whoever is chair needs to be able to reflect that um, pluralism that our city is so proud of. So, you know, it's going to be a big task, and whoever does it is going to have to be um, very open to this committee because it is a very quick timeline, and the issues um, require a sensitivity, especially to the public, so that we maintain our credibility as we recommend to the council some proposals. If our recommendations to the council don't have credibility with the public, or with them, then I think that we will have wasted our time. Mm -hmm. So, yes, Bernard. Um, the, the reason why I, uh, I second um, former Chief Cherry is because, as Steve mentioned, at the conclusion, not only do we have to have an open process, but we will be judged by, by the evenness that the, the public perceives. And he's enjoyed a very good reputation as the chief for many, many years in Sacramento. And I think that gives us and our committee a big advantage for people drawing fast conclusions one way or the other, but in this case on a positive note. And I think that would help us because it's going to be impossible for us to get everybody. Some people, at, even as fair as we're trying to be, are going to say, I got this at the last moment and we're going to react accordingly. So I'm not worried about the time frame, nor am I worried about, to be very candid with you, who's really going to be the chair, because I think we're a strong enough committee mm -hmm. that we're not going to be run over. So that was my reason for supporting him, that it gives our, our committee an immediate positive boost when people hear that his name has been associated, no disrespect. Uh, but he's been put in the city for a long time, and therefore it gives us a a real big advantage for people thinking that, that at least the leader is known and they feel a sense of being a part of it, which is not going to be easy, but I, that's, I think, an advantage. Okay, that, to clarify, that's why you have... should be Chair Buller, or Bernard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I want to do it now. Like, I would like to uh, clarify something. that I heard you say something. I just want to make sure everyone's understanding this. When you second a motion, it does not mean that you are supporting that motion necessarily. It means that you are seconding for further sure, discussion. So just so everyone is clear on that, so sure. when you vote, you could vote any way you wish. So I just, yeah, okay, thank you. I see someone, are you right, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, so if the committee's ready, I'd like to make a motion as we're now past 8 o'clock, and I'd still like to hear from the public if they'd like to speak. Okay. Um, and the motion would be for Mr. Cherry to chair and for Mr. Porter to vice chair with the understanding that as schedules allow that they could work together as much as possible in the setting of the agenda and, uh, and collaborate uh, more or less as co-chairs insofar as that's possible with respect to the, the resolution that they are not co-chairs. Okay, we do have a motion. I could second that. Okay, seconded. All right, any discussion? Well, I, 
it does prevent us from uh, having a woman as a vice chair, <laughs> which I actually think it's important to, uh, once you settle which one of these men should be chair, that we ought to consider having a woman as a vice chair. I think it provides a sense of equity. I think it provides a sense of, of, of the right message that Steve talked about. We need to send a sense of the of the diversity and the inclusion. So I, I would, uh, I assume if it's appropriate, I would oppose this notion that we make that selection now and at least, at least leave us the opportunity to discuss whether we should have uh, a woman as a vice chair. I'm I do think it's important to have both participate in the agenda setting. I don't have a problem with that. But I do think it's important that we have an opportunity to talk about whether that would be appropriate. And, and I think the motion prevents that discussion. I'm happy to amend my motion to just uh, for Mr. Cherry as the chair uh, to open up that opportunity for a, a vice chair. Are you amenable to that amendment as a second? Absolutely. Okay. So now on the floor we have the motion that would uh, make Julius Cherry the chair, and we have no vice chair stated at this time. Correct? Is there further discussion on that? Okay. All in favor? Or do we need to go by roll call? Let's try this. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Any abstentions? Okay, that passes unanimously. So we have a chair. Congratulations, Mr. Cherry. Thank you. I think. <laughs> <laughs> We've got plans for you. Okay. Now we need to have a discussion and ultimately a, a motion for the vice chair. I would like to nominate someone for vice chair. Okay. If possible. Uh, I think uh, Lynn has been sort of a voice of um, even-handedness tonight, um, and so I would like her to think. We haven't talked about it, and I don't know if anybody else has talked about it, but I think if she doesn't want to do it, then that's fine, but she's um, somebody who I think would be a good vice chair. Is there a second on that? Well, I, I think we should do a nomination. I'm not making a motion. Okay, just, just a nomination. Nominating Lynn, would you like her. to speak to if you don't want the to recommendation? Do it, Thank you for the nomination. I appreciate your vote of confidence. Um, I, I accept the nomination for vice chair. Okay. Unless somebody else wants to take the job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So is there a, a motion on the floor then for I have a second or nomination. Or anyone else? Yeah, I'd like to nominate Michelle Rubelkava, as poorly as I pronounce her name. Okay, Michelle. <laughs> Me too. Okay, would you like to <coughs> comment? I appreciate the nomination, and I also would accept the nomination and would look forward to working with the chair in whatever capacity he would seem fit. So, I'd you. second that nomination. Okay, so we, we don't have a motion on the floor at this point. It's nomination, so th it's okay. Thank you. Are there any other nominations for vice chair? No, no, no. Okay. I was still so, trying to talk Roman into it, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he's not biting. I'm all for gender equity. So okay. No all right. So we have Lynn and we have Michelle, both been nominated. Um, are there other questions of them? Any statements that they would like to make? Yes, um, I'd like to understand a little bit about each candidate, please. Okay. Lynn? Um, I have been a District 1 resident for over 20 years. I've served in the community for about 10. I've been on the Natomas Community Association for uh, on my fifth term. Uh, two years as president, uh, actually <coughs> going on five years as secretary, uh, served on various uh, community 
uh, chair, uh, co- I guess you would say core team members, Celebrate Thomas comes to mind is a real big one. Uh, Relay for Life is another one. We just finished it a couple of weeks ago with uh, the Natomas branch. And I've Sorry. also been active with the local Project Management Institute chapter, uh, served as secretary in that capacity and as a volunteer for about eight years. So, um, And I've also actually served on the City Planning Academy um, many years ago. I believe Sandra and I were in the same class together. I recognize your name. And so... Uh, many of them may have remembered my note-taking efforts that I shared with the group, and so uh, it was very well received. Um, and I will work very hard with uh, Julius if I'm elected as vice chair. Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. Michelle. My name is Michelle Rolcava, again, and I am a homeowner of District 7. I've lived there almost three years now, but lived in um, Lamb Park for about 12 years before that. Um, I am, was a board member of the California Latino Capital Association when I was a legislative staffer there. I am an attorney here in town. I went to McGeorge, uh, graduated in 2003. I am a parent um, of a three-year-old, a beautiful daughter named Eva, and um, just at this point have just found the time personally to be able to give back more to my community, um, but also have worked with the Chicano Latino Youth Leadership Project, um, was also a liaison to the Latino advocates um, from in the capital, and um, am looking forward to participating in this process as much as possible and would really appreciate your vote. Thank you. Okay, are there any other comments, questions? I'll make a motion on Lynn, okay. that Lynn Hom be our vice chair. Is there a second? A second. Thank you. I'd like to substitute motion to Michelle be our vice chair. Is there a second? I'll second. I, I don't think that's not the Roberts rules, is it? That yes. I would have to accept a friendly amendment until our this motion is, is acted upon. No. No. No, you can have Does a substitute, in which case the substitute motion has to be voted up or down before the original motion is voted. And upon. when do we have discussion? You can have it now okay. if there's further discussion on either one. I would like to explain why I made the motion um, since we have a second. I made the motion because um, in the city, District 1 currently has about 106,000 residents, and it's going to have to change the most out of all the districts. And I think as we look at a lot of the changes that have particularly happened north of the river, it's really incumbent to us and those residents of the city that they're well represented in this process so they understand their voices are, are heard. And I think that while District 7 um, certainly is a valuable part of our city, um, it won't change that much probably because population-wise it's not too far off our mark. Maybe we decide to do something radically different than the maps before and it would be impacted. But at this point, it's really clear that District 1 is going to be extremely impacted by this process. And that's why I believe Lynn uh, from District 1, chosen through the PP&E process, um, would be, uh, and by the council, would be a really valuable asset as our vice chair. You, you realize that Michelle isn't the District 7 rep, correct? No, I, I realize that, but that she said she lives in District 7, and I know that she lives in District 7. Okay. Okay. We have a substitute motion on the floor. Well, like, well, I think the argument that you make, Steve, could be considered the other side, too. This is a district that's large, so that 
all of us have a stake. Everybody in this room has a stake in what happens to that district. And to, to put somebody in as vice chair because they'll have the most to say about the district discounts everybody else in the circle. I, I, think, I think there's as strong an argument that says, wait a minute, this is a champion of the Neighborhood Association in her district. She should get special preference because it's a big district. From my mind, it's a good reason to have the people who are making the agenda ensure that everybody's input gets considered. So I just, I'm, I'm, I see your argument as having the opposite conclusion for me. Uh, and if I could just respond to that quickly, I think it's a similar argument to why you nominated um, our former fire chief, which is that he has a sense of the city, he has um, some experience with what is going to be happening in different parts of the city, and since this is one of the most impacted parts of the city, District 1, it seems to me that District 1 carries a, an additional burden in this process, and that's why, not because they have more to say, but because the lines are going to be changing. They're more than almost anywhere else, um, is, is my impression, given some of the numbers that we've seen on the city website. And so it's important to me that those residents have a full and fair opportunity, and they're represented in this process especially well. I, I think so, but I just think it's opposite can be said. They do have a full and fair choice. They've got multiple <coughs> representation on this committee. They've got more than one person from the district. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little troubled by this notion that the rest of the city doesn't have as much as a stake. Now, obviously, we're, that district is going to be uh, changed dramatically, and it's going to affect every other city council member. So to make that argument, say, well, all the other people who are going to pick up parts of that should have a big interest in that district, I, I think that's true. But I don't think it, it means that that person has more say about how that's going to be divided up for these other Members, I think it. I think there ought to be some sense to which everybody in this circle uh, has a stake. Bill, I wanted to address your concern, and I, I appreciate you voicing it to the requisite committee, and I appreciate Scott. I mean, Steve for the nomination. I want to let you know that if I am elected as vice chair, no matter if it happens or not, I'm going to play a very impartial role. I do live in District 1. Yes, we do have a lot to consider because we have a big district, but that is not going to sway me as vice chair. I'm going to work very hard to make sure that everybody's equally represented. I'm not going to make it so that District 1 is more favored than the other districts at all. That is not my goal here. My goal is to ensure that this council looks at every single map, takes every public comment into consideration, and that we do a fair and equitable job. Okay. Thank you. Are there any other comments? If, if I might, Madam Chair, I, I, I think, first of all, either one of the women mentioned would make a wonderful co-chair, and I could work with either one of them. I will point out that someone earlier, I'm not sure if it was um, you, Mr. Hanson, talked about having a chair from the, the districts and then one from the the overall elected body and Michelle is appointed as an at-large member not that whether that makes a difference to you or not I, I simply pointed out are there other comments I, I would just point out that Lynn is also an at-large mm -hmm. 
ready, but speak up. Both are at large. Are there comments? At the, once discussion is ended, we will call for uh, the can, vote for the substitute. Can we just get clarification? Because there's been two motions, and mm -hmm. I'm not very clear as to how we're supposed to. Okay, the, the first members. motion that was made by Steve nominated Lynn as the vice chair, and it was seconded by Maya. Sorry, I don't know names too well. Um, the substitute motion, which needs to be voted upon now, or when we're ready, first, either voted up or down, um, nominated um, by Bill Camp, Michelle, as the vice chair. So now the next step is to take a vote on this motion, and it sounds to me like we need to do a roll call vote. So what I would do is to go down the list of all of you that are on and, and tally this. If it passes, then Michelle will be the vice chair. If it does not pass, then we will vote on the original motion, and we'll see what happens with that one, whether it passes. So is everyone ready for a vote? Okay. This is for Michelle as a substitute motion. Roman Porter. No. Bill Camp. Aye. Cyril Shaw. Uh, aye. Julius Cherry. Aye. Stephen Hansen. No. Oh, I didn't. No. Okay. Bill Motmans. Aye. Bernard Buller? No. No? No, okay. Sandra? No. Steve Maviglio? No. Lynn Holm? Holm? No. Of course. Miranda Ferry? No. Phil Pluckabom, is that correct? Yeah, no. Maya Wallace? Michelle? Aye. And Nadia? Aye. I need to count, but I didn't keep up with it. One, we have, I think the no's prevail. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. No's, one, two, three, four, five, six yeses. So it fails. So now we will go to the original motion. The motion was made by Steve for Lynn. Okay, Roman Porter. Aye. Bill Camp. No. Cyril Shaw. Aye. Julius Cherry. Aye. Stephen Hansen. Aye. Bill Motmans. Aye. Bernard Bowler. Aye. Sandra. Aye. Steve. Aye. Lynn? Aye. Miranda? Aye. Phil? Aye. Maya? Aye. Michelle? Aye. Nadia? No. The motion passes. So congratulations to our vice chair. We have Lynn as the vice chair. Thank you all very much. That was quite the process when we got through it. So we are, if there's no further discussion on this item, we are ready for public comment and then committee ideas and then adjournment. I have no one signed up to speak from the public. Um, so we're now uh, to committee ideas, statements, comments, questions. Roman. Um, Mr. Chair. <laughs> yes, thank you. 
Um, the, the one thing that I would suggest, I noticed that we had a number of members from the public here tonight. Um, they chose not to speak, I think, just here to see what we're doing. But it may be uh, beneficial for the members of the public if we move the public comment item to the beginning of the agenda instead of having it at the end of the agenda. So if there's anyone who was coming home straight from work, needed to get home, but just wanted to talk about something off agenda, they don't have to sit through the entire meeting. Um, so that would just be a suggestion that I have. Okay. And if I may, um, if it's possible, uh, I would actually like uh, public comment to remain open throughout the meeting, if at all possible. So if people can't make it here on 6 o'clock on the dot, we don't close the public comment period. We can keep it open for the duration of the meeting. Okay. And obviously people can speak to items that are on the agenda, so we've kind of covered it on all ends. <laughs> Thank you. Julius. Does that, does that require a, a motion from the body? Staff will take it into consideration to bring it back for the Suggestion next. has been accepted. Thank you. Are there any other items for the good of the whole? We did get this um, uh, paper comment that yes, was submitted by email, I believe, mm -hmm. or through the city software. Yes. I just wanted to acknowledge it, and um, I don't know if the staff want to address it, if you, if you also read it. It was about yes. compactness. Just so you know that the public comment that comes in through <coughs> e-comment becomes part of the permanent record and is kept with our original documents is also placed on the web. It's all very public, so thank you. And, and just, I guess, one note is Matt uh, mentioned it earlier, but a lot of what the city council will rely on is evidence, especially if the plan is challenged at some point. All of these comments, all of these discussions, um, if they're relied on by the city council, become part of that evidence. Um, is that correct, Matt? Whatever's presented to council will be part of the record of how council made its decision. Ultimately, it will come down to the, the uh, there'll be a process that the council goes through in making its decision at the end. Do you want to read the comment, or do you want me to restate it, or how's the? Sure. I have it here, so I'll just read it. It was um, uh, comment on agenda item six is attachment A, page 10. In the redistricting software, which I'm guessing is on the website, mm -hmm. the free, which is fabulous. The city spent a lot of money on a free website for people to make maps. Um, not exactly the most intuitive, but we, we muddle. Um, the compactness tests are turned off in the citizen role, but be, can, can be performed by the software administrators. How was the decision reached? What For what purpose? Um, and then uh, they want to just understand that more fully. Okay. So um, there are lots of, as uh, Ellen alluded to in her presentation, lots of different types of compactness models, or, and they're fairly academic. We felt that they were confusing and that they didn't add much to the process, so we turned them off. Also, um, because we haven't had discussion in this forum or the, with the council as to what compactness model we might want to use, um, there are many, many out there. And they often have sort of conflicting indicators. So in one model, it's, you know, a high number is good. And another model, a low number is good. And so it did just creates a lot of confusion. So we turned it off for now. It's possible that we could turn those on if we, if we decided that that was um, useful to the process. But at this point, we didn't see that it added value. Okay, thank you. Is that all for the good of the order? This meeting is adjourned. Thank you.